They say that you're a runaround lover. Oh, you say it isn't so. But if you put me down for another, I'll know, believe me, I'll know. Cause a night has a thousand eyes, and a thousand eyes can't help but see. Bobby V from the 1960s, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show, starting just a little bit late here. But uh, I think I'm entitled to start a little bit late after what's been going on the last few days. Anyway, welcome to the show. This is a special night, of course. Monday night instead of Tuesday, because I will be playing tomorrow night and will be unable to do the show. And I will be playing on Wednesday night and Thursday night. So... This is the only chance to do the show, and I did not want to miss a week, so we're doing it tonight one day early and only five days later than the previous show on June 19th. We have a very special free roll tonight, very weird free roll, and I'm going to give everybody the instructions for that free roll. Listen very, very carefully, or otherwise you're going to be very disappointed if you finish in a spot where you think that you're going to win some money. The free roll is for $74.66. And that is all donated by a user, and I don't even know who this guy is other than that he invested in me, Snake in the Ass. Now, we're not talking about Zach, formerly of Quad Jacks, not Snake in the Grass. This is Snake in the Ass, which is obviously a play on the uh, nickname we have for Zach. And he was lucky enough to invest in me in the 5K Limit Hold'em event, and we're going to have a lot of discussion about that tonight, the 5K Limit Hold'em event, where I finished 5th and entered the day slightly ahead in chips, ahead of everybody. 
coming into day three with 12 people left. Finished fifth, a little bit disappointing. I will get into that whole thing in a little bit. That'll be the main subject of tonight's show. But uh, Snake in the Ass invested in the 5K event. And for a measly $56 investment, he won over 500 So pretty good return on that investment. Anyway, he was very grateful for this. And he said he wants to donate $74.66. The reason he came up with that number was uh, he added together his winnings from the other event I cashed in, the event number six, and also the refund I owed him for not playing in uh, event number 40 because I was at the final table of event number 37. So I guess I owed him 574.66 according to his calculation. So he said, you know, just take the 74.66 off the top and put it into the free roll. But this is not going to be any free roll. It's not going to be just any ordinary free roll. It starts tonight at 7.40 p.m. It will be No Limit Hold'em on the No Fraud Online Poker Room as usual. And as usual, you have to have a registered account here by January 1st, 2013 on the forum. If you don't, you have to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. And you need to tell me how long you've been listening to the show or how long you've been reading the forum, some things you've liked, some things you haven't liked. Um, Just convince me you've been around for at least a little bit of time and haven't just shown up for the free roll. And then I will give you an exemption that you can enter the free roll for money. Otherwise, you can only play and not win the free money, but uh, you can qualify for the free money if I give you this exemption. And that's good for life. You only have to do it once, once I give it to you. Or if you have a registered account here before January 1st or on January 1st, then you don't have to do that. You already qualify for the free roll. Anyway, it's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's totally free. You don't even need play chips to play. The No Fraud Online Poker Room can be found at the top of PokerFraudAlert.com. Just click on No Fraud Online Poker, and it's pretty self-explanatory from there. So it's at 7.40 tonight Pacific Time, but here's the twist. Here's the prize pool. 74.66. First place gets zero. Second place gets zero. Third place gets zero. Fourth place gets zero. So you're like, what the hell? How can it be a 74.66 free roll if the first four places get zero? Fifth place gets 74.66, the whole damn prize pool. I don't think I've ever seen a tournament like this before where only a place below first gets paid. I don't think we've ever... I know we haven't had one like this, but I don't know if I've ever heard of one like this. This was Snake in the Ass's idea, and he said, this is in honor of me finishing fifth at the 5K Limit Hold'em at the World Series. So he wants only fifth place to pay. And I even asked him, do you mind if other people donate to for first through fourth? And he said, yes, I don't want anyone donating for first through fourth. I only want it to be fifth. So I'm going to ask everybody tonight, please do not try to add to the prize pool for first through fourth. Now, what do you do if the once the fifth, fifth place person busts? What do you do if you're still in the tournament? I don't know. Play for fun? But you're not going to get any money, and that's at the request of Snake in the Ass who donated the money. So I'm not going to I'm not going to go against his request since it's his money. And I always tell people, if you donate money to this, you get to decide how it's spent. So this is the way he wants it. That's the way it'll be this week. Next week we will be back probably to a more normal free roll. I think it's interesting because you need enough chips to get down to the final five But at the same time, you don't want too many chips. You want to be able to lose them. So my strategy advice to you guys would be to try to make it into the final five with a short stack and then, of course, try to play the worst hands possible. (laughs) 
the other weird thing is, of course, nobody's going to want to call it all in when there's five left. But then, of course, uh, people will get blinded down, I, I guess. Uh, but, th- but then, of course, if the person who is shortest can try to just blind themselves down, but then people may want to play hands with each other. Otherwise, the shortest stack can win. It's, it's kind of interesting. I think it'll be fun. So fifth place only pays seven $74.66, $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74. $74
And then the second day, I just caught fire and uh, took a, a little bit of time to start gaining chips, but uh, never started losing. I kind of start off uh, kind of okay, and then I started to win, then I started to really win, and then just the whole day went well. And when the whole thing was over, I had 442,000 chips, and I was first out of 12 people. So I was happy about that. Now, I was not in overwhelming first place. Ronnie Barda, who won the 2500 six max limit hold'em last year, was right on my tail. He had 427, which is a virtual tie at that point. And this guy's a good player. And uh, you know, obviously to win the limit hold'em six max, you're probably going to be a good limit player. So uh, obviously I had to worry about him. Had some unknown guy, an older guy named Michael Moore, not the filmmaker. He had like 387, so also kind of a virtual tie. And then everybody else was in the twos, so they were lower. And we had three very short stacks under 100, including two who were under 50. So I thought, all right, 12 people left. I'm the chip leader. We quit for the day. We come back. I say, I'm going to make a final table for sure. It would have to be a really, really epic bad run not to make the final table at that point because we had three very short stacks, and I was the chip leader. Even if there were other players who had similar chips to me, even though a really bad run of cards could really cut me down, I just couldn't see completely missing the final table by the time three people busted, especially with three short stacks. Well, I didn't get off to a good start. Being a combination of card dead and uh, losing hands, I just wasn't winning. It took a while for me to even win my first pot, and I quickly lost a quarter of my stack. Uh, however, I wasn't in any kind of catastrophic hands, and I wasn't in like I, I wasn't like set over set or, or aces being beat by a set. Like it wasn't like raise, 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 raise. I lose, you know. So, uh, and you can you know you can lose big pots in limit. Don't think just because it's limit you can only lose a little bit at a time. Especially later when the blinds are high, you can lose a lot very fast. But uh, I, I got to a, a lousy start, but not a terrible start. So I made the final table, and uh, I was glad to see that nobody rapidly overtook me in chips. That what happened was by the time we got down to nine, I actually busted the bubble boy, the final table of bubble boy, with kings versus tens. But uh, by the time we went over to the final table, the chip leader actually had fewer chips than I started the day with. So everyone was fairly even who was in the upper echelon of chips, and then we had some short stacks, but no like super, super short stacks. So I knew it was really anyone's game. Even the short stacks had a chance here. And when I say a chance, I mean a legitimate chance. I don't mean like a miracle chance. So I knew it would be interesting, and I knew I would have to start catching some better cards if I was going to win this thing. I knew I would have to have a day three like day two if I wanted to be the winner because we had a lot of solid players at the table. So it wasn't going to be for me severely outplaying everyone that would get me the win despite average cards. I knew I would have to get good cards to win, and I knew I'd have to be careful not to really screw anything up. I knew if uh, I just got okay cards, I was not going to win. I knew if I got bad cards, I'm definitely not going to win. In fact, if I, if I got bad cards, I could have finished ninth. So, it got going. Um, it was actually an ESPN3 broadcast, which I had been under the impression that they broadcast all of them now on ESPN3, but I was wrong. I, I guess because several final tables run at once, they only do certain final tables. They only do one at a time, one every day. So they pick whatever is the more interesting event, in their opinion, and they can even change it. So, like, uh, let's say an event that they chose not to do, you have a A-list name there. You have Negrano, you have Helmuth, you have Ivy, whatever. Uh, then I'm sure they would choose to cover that one instead of the uh, the one they had picked. Well, our event's final table conflicted with the, uh, 
I think the 1500 No Limit Shootout final table. And, you know, that one had, like, Nacho Barbero, but and no one huge. So uh, they kept up, they kept Willars as planned. And uh, ours was the one originally on the schedule, just because it's a 5K buy-in event. The, uh, the nine people at the table, I'll, I'll describe them as follows, but uh, let me connect our co-host on. I think he's ready now. He is, he says. Hopefully he doesn't hang up on me this time. Hey, what's up? There we go. Okay. This is uh, China Maniac, our usual co-host on this show, and I'd like to thank him for all the times he's joined the show here, and uh, welcome to the show, China Maniac. Hey, thanks for having me on. What's happening tonight? Going Breaking down the um, the Limit Hold'em event? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so we got... We were the the sort of televised final table. And I say sort of televised, it's not really on TV. It's on what they call ESPN3, which is an internet channel run by ESPN. You could also watch directly on WSOP.com. But you could not watch it if your internet provider does not subscribe to ESPN3. Your internet provider actually has to pay ESPN to carry that. And if they do not pay ESPN, if ESPN does not recognize that as an IP of a uh, a provider that they have agreed to ca- to cover it, you know, that, ha- that hasn't paid for it, then uh, then they won't let you watch it. Then it says, sorry, you're not allowed to watch this. So, for example, my brother, who wanted to watch this, his provider did not have this agreement with ESPN, and he could not watch it. So uh, most of you could watch it. But anyway, uh, this was broadcast on ESPN3. I actually did... Commentating, commentating on ESPN3 four years ago for this same event. And Greg Bueller, who was at this final table as well, was at that final table and, in fact, won. And I was the commentator there, and I was along with uh, Bernard Lee. And I was more of the color commentator. And, in fact, Bernard Lee said that uh, you know, before the event, he didn't really want to comment on the strategy elements of it because he's not a limit player and he didn't want to sound stupid. And I don't blame him. You know, like if you if you don't know a game very well, you don't want to be uh, doing color commentary. You sound like you'll sound like a fool. So uh, Bernard Lee, uh, yeah, he had a limit player in there, and that was me four years ago. So who was there this year? Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me, obviously, since uh, I was playing. Well, they chose two limit players at the beginning, and then uh, one replaced um, one of them later on. But the two limit players they chose to come in are former. Uh, Bracelet winners, or I guess when I say former, I mean previous year bracelet winners. David ODB Baker. Now they call him ODB, that stands for Old David Baker, because uh, there's two David Bakers who are fairly, fairly well known in poker. There's the David Bakes Baker, who's pretty young, he's in his 20s. I think he was like woohoo kid on Poker Stars. And uh, then there's David Baker, the older one. Now he's not really old, he's my age actually, he's the exact same age as me, he's 41. But compared to the other David Baker, he's old. So they call him ODB, Old David Baker. So he was the, he was one of the commentators. The other commentator was uh, Justin Peachy, and he won the Limit Shootout, I think, in 2011. And he was uh, like Lucial on Poker Stars. That's his name. Uh, I don't think David ODB Baker played very much on Stars. I think his name was like Vince Vegas or something. But I, I didn't see him very often on there. He was more of a live player. So uh, those are the two color commentators they had on there, and uh, David Tuckman, known as Tuck on Sports on uh, Twitter, was as usual the uh, the main commentator. 
but limit isn't really Tuckman's game. So while he understood it, you know, he didn't know all the uh, finer strategy elements. Now, before I go on here, I, I will say that David Baker and Justin Peachy are very knowledgeable limit players. I'm not going to say they're fish. I'm not going to say they're stupid. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to put down their ability in the game. And in fact, Justin, I, you know, I, I didn't really have much of a problem with what he said during the broadcast, but, uh, I didn't like David Baker on this broadcast. I didn't like, and I'll explain this in a little bit, but David Baker talked trash about me during the broadcast. And when I say me, do I mean my play or me personally? It's actually both. But he tried to do it in a way where it didn't seem like there was a reason for it. It didn't seem like uh, there was any history between us. He tried to make it look like that, but that's not true. And I'll tell you why David Baker was acting the way he was on that broadcast, in my opinion. I can't be sure why he was, but uh, this is my opinion why. And I'll tell you in a second. But uh, one thing that surprised me was that they took away our cell phones completely during that final table. And I was told that the reason for this was that uh, since they're broadcasting the whole cards on a 30-minute delay, because when you would watch this on ESPN3, you'd see the full whole cards. So it's on a 30-minute delay... But they uh, they obviously see them in real time. Now, the, the, the announcers don't see it in real time. The announcers apparently see it on a 30-minute delay, which is interesting because when I did this four years ago on ESPN3, there were no whole cards, and I actually had to guess what everyone had. And I thought that was actually kind of a fun exercise because I never just, like, watched a limit hold'em game and sat there for hours like saying this guy must have this this guy must have that and i was actually pretty impressed with myself then was that i got most of the hands right or very close to right and not even in all the super obvious situations so um in fact i thought that i was better at reading hands watching the game there than i am when i play the game probably because there's no emotion in it for me when uh, when i'm not the player so and when you know there's no doesn't matter to me who wins or loses and, and there was no one I was like friends with at that final table, so there's really no one I was rooting for, and no one I disliked there, so there's nobody I was rooting against. But anyway, back to the present. They could see the whole cards, and uh, um, because someone on the technical side of things can see the whole cards in real time, uh, they don't want anything where someone has a phone and they get uh, you know their phone vibrating or something telling them to fold or things like that. So... Uh, it's illegal, apparently, according to Nevada state law, for people to have any kind of uh, electronic devices uh, with them while they play poker if there are whole card camps. So they had to take our phones away completely. But what about the 30-minute delay? China Maniac, I'm going to ask you a question. I know you don't know the, you probably don't know the answer either way. You're just a guess on your part. Do you think it is allowed or not allowed by tournament rules to go find out from your friends watching who might be watching the broadcast 30 minute delayed on their phone? Is it okay to go to them 30 minutes later and say, hey, what did he have? Is that okay or not okay by the rules there? I think it would be allowed. You're right. It is. And, and that I'll added. Tell, I'll, I'll actually tell you how I knew it was because um, there was a big event at the end of the EPT in um, Sorrell missed an interview, and he said, you know, he was all he was texting with his friends, trying to find out exactly, you know, what everybody had on big hands, like on the break. So that was just 
That's the only reason I guessed that way. Yeah. Well, so apparently this is allowed. The, what they told you is that you're not allowed to go back to the rail and have someone show you your phone or their phone. They're not supposed to show you or let you touch any electronic devices. But if the people on the rail are watching the electronic devices and you just go up and say, hey, what did this guy have on this hand where I had such and such, they're allowed to tell you. And they actually said this. The, the uh, tournament director, not, not, I don't mean Jack Evel, but I mean the, uh, the guy running this particular tournament, uh, reminded everybody, if you go back to the rail, you can't touch any of the phones, you can't look at your own phone, you can't look at their phone, but you know, if you want to just ask your friends there what people had, that's okay. He actually said that. So, I didn't like this. I thought this really destroyed the integrity, to some degree, of the final table. Because when people can find out half an hour later whether you were bluffing them, whether you were betting light, uh, all these all these things, whether they made a good fold, that can really affect the event. It's not like it's four hours later where it's not that likely to impact it. Half an hour later, you can you can make a fold and you can say, okay, I'll find out in half an hour if I was right. And then if I was right, next time I'll play the guy differently maybe if he was bluffing me. Or I'll play him the same if he, you know, if I read him right, you know, like so. So I think that's a, a very bad thing to have, where you can get information on any single hand you want, as long as you have someone on the rail helping you. That's the thing. You do need someone there, present, there in the audience, because you can't call anyone. You don't have a phone, and that actually also puts anyone from out of the area at a disadvantage, or anyone from out of the area who doesn't have friends here right now. Now I got a question for you. Do you, th- do you think? So if they're going to show the whole cards, do you think they should like maybe have like a private bathroom for you guys and have like security escort you, or just not show whole cards? Like, what would you prefer? Well, it's funny to because fix it's, fun- it's funny because they had this a few years ago where they sequestered everybody and everybody was in a very small room. Everybody was allowed to take in like one guest to watch them, and you couldn't bring any cell phones, and they'd follow you to the bathroom and all that. And I felt that was actually ridiculous because it made a very like number one kind of stressful environment. And number two, uh, you can't have your friends watch you. So I think the solution is, if they want to show whole cards, is to make it to where nobody in the audience can be using their phones. Right. And uh, and that it becomes illegal with some kind of harsh penalty if you try to go back there and find out. So, like, they can't penalize an audience member other than kick them out. But uh, if it's found out or heard that you go back and ask about what someone had, uh, then you'll get some kind of harsh penalty. I mean, something like that. Because this just really... It does two things. First of all, it messes with the integrity of the final table. And number two, you're kind of forced to do it yourself because if you don't, then you're at a disadvantage. So I, I noticed during long hands, players would get up and run to the rail. So I'm like, well, I'm going to run to the rail too. You know, I'm not going to let them find out what I had and what other players had, and I'm not going to find out. Then I'm at a disadvantage. And now to make the whole thing even, I have to do it too. If it were my choice, though, I would want it where no one could do this. And later in the tournament, in fact, people just started showing their hands right away, saying, oh, you're going to find out in half an hour anyway and flip it up. So, um, I, I think this half an hour thing should never come into play. It should never be like, well, you can see this because I know you're going to find out very soon anyway. Or, um, oh, okay, well, I'm kind of tilted because I don't know if I made the right fold or not, but I'll find out in half an hour, so I'll just maintain my wits during that time. And I will tell you that that actually came to my mind sometimes when I folded, because I made a number of folds in this tournament where I, I thought I was right, but I wasn't 100% sure. And, uh, and, and 
while that may have bugged me throughout the whole tournament in a normal situation, here, I said, all right, well, I'll find out in half an hour. And I did. But I don't even feel guilty about it because everyone was doing it to me, too. So it, it was part of the rules of the tournament. So I think that's very wrong. I think that's a change they really need to make next year. I know showing the whole cards makes the tournament a lot more interesting to watch. I know that's uh, a lot better from ESPN standpoint, from the World Series standpoint, as far as uh, for the fan base. But I think it's a very bad thing if it only has a half an hour delay from the play standpoint, because this really changes the game. If anyone can find out about any sing- any hand they want in the whole thing on just a half an hour delay, or make the delay longer, make the delay three hours. I mean, why does it have to be half an hour? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I, know, I, I, I know people are like, oh, who wants to watch something that's three hours old news? But who wants to watch half an hour old news? Like, you know, someone, if you're interested in the event, are you really going to wait half an hour to see who wins the bracelet if you already know, if you can find out who won right now? Eh, maybe. I think a half an hour and three hours makes a big difference if you're uh, following it. Um, just psychologically, I just think, you know, three I, hours. I mean, you're right big... about that. Yeah, I, I agree that it does make a psychological difference, but... I mean, do you think anyone on Poker Fraud Alert didn't know that I busted fifth right when I did? Like, everyone knew right away. Because right, everyone right. everyone was following the feed, and then they were just kind of watching along to see the more detailed yeah. action. So that, that's right. what I, th- I think, like, anyone who's, like, a real big – has real connection to anyone at the table or has a right. real big interest in that particular event is going to want to know right away, even if it's a five-minute sure. delay. So that's – but, sure. but I, I'm not even saying make a three-hour delay. I'm saying make – do something – where people can't find out about any hand half hour later. It's crazy. But that was that was the case, so I did it too. I'm not going to... Yeah, they, they could run it in re- real time and just say, or a five-minute <laughs> delay even, and just say, look, if you get caught, you know, then you forfeit all your prize money or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the solution is, but it's, it's they got to change it. The, this I think this is very bad, and uh, it, re- it really did change the way the table went. There was a lot less uh, of the... Wow, I wonder what he had there, sort of thing. It was just, right. I wonder what he had there for right now, but I'll find out very soon. I, that's what I thought every single time I folded, and and I have to say, it, it let me play more peacefully after these folds, especially when I found out later in most of these cases. I, in fact, I think all of these cases I was right. So uh, I believe I only made one bad fold the entire time. When I say bad fold, I mean where I folded uh, the river or the turn. With the, with the best hand, and that was uh, when somebody had jack high and pushed me off a terrible board when I had a short stack. Uh, but other than that, but he showed his hand right when he did it too. So uh, other than that, uh, I made all good folds and took me a little, little while to find out. It took me half an hour, but I found it every time. Like, oh, good. You know, sucks I lost the hand, but good I didn't waste a bit on the river. So anyway, that that's my little editorial about that, uh, that table. But uh, let me tell you about who was at the table. In uh, seat number one, we had uh, Brian Aleska, or I think it's Alexa actually, not Aleska. I forgot how you pronounce it. Whatever. Uh, he's a cash player. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. He's a cash player from Commerce, young guy, like uh, I don't know, mid to late twenties. Uh, seat number two was Greg Mueller. You all know who he is. Two uh, two bracelets and limit hold'em in one year a few years ago. Uh, already three final tables this year, so he's been. Tremendously successful at the World Series over the last four years or so. Yeah, all in limit games too, all yeah. fixed formats. Yeah, yeah, he's really good at those uh, f- those fixed limit formats at the World Series. Uh, 
Then there is me in seat three. Seat number four is a little Asian kid named Ben Yu. I don't know how old he was. He's very young. And uh, I've played with him a couple times. He was like a perpetual short stack. I mean, he he was well into day two, a perpetual short stack. He just never busted. He was always a short stack, just never busted. And uh, so he was in seat four, but he was actually he was a short stack, but not a super short stack. Nobody. He, he's short too. He'd get carded for cigarettes. That's true. He's he's a he's one of these like really short young looking kids. Yeah, you, you have the kids in poker who are both short and young looking. You have Ben Yu, you have uh, um, was it James Mackey is his name. I think he's another one. Uh, the Milky Bar Kid. Remember the Milky Bar Kid? Ben Grundy. No. Oh, look him up. Look up Ben Grundy, Milky Bar Kid. The guy's like okay. thirty. The guy's like thirty-two. He looks like he's sixteen. I'm not even kidding. Like, I, like I yeah. saw him seven years ago, and he's already in his mid twenties. And I was thinking, there's no way this guy could be twenty-one. Yeah, it's like this kid Ben Yu. I bet when he's like forty-five, he'll, he'll look like he's about twenty-six. <laughs> so, um, anyway, that's Ben Yu, and I, I guess he's uh, he must have some money because he he played the fifty k event uh, either last year or two years ago. Seat number five, uh, we had uh, Domenico, some long last name I can't even pronounce. Uh, D Domenico or something. Yeah. Domenico or something. Yeah, Domenico is some long last name. Um, right. One step called him the Twink, but uh, as far as I could tell, one uh, Domenico isn't actually gay. But anyway, uh, Domenico there is in the five seat. He's also a, uh, a high limit commerce player, a limit player, very good. Seat number six, Ronnie Barda. I already talked about him. He's from uh, your area, China Maniac, from the Boston area. Big uh, Red Sox fan. Won a limit yeah. hold'em bracelet last year. Um, Actually had a, a style of play on day two. I played with him a good deal on day two. A very similar style of play in tournament World Series events as I did. So I thought this is going to be interesting. We were both playing almost the same style and had about the same chip stack. And he, uh, But he had lost some chips. He only came in with 200-something by the time we got to the final table. Uh, seat number seven, we had uh, Gabriel Nassif. He is a Magic the Gathering player. A lot of Magic the Gathering people in the Limit Hold'em community. I think uh, Brock, Parker, Bro- Brock Parker got them all into it. He was part. Yeah. Of, you know, he was re- big into Magic. Uh, Eric Froelich, you know, who was not at this table, he was. Uh, he's part of the Magic community. David Williams, part of the Magic community. Uh, ben Yu, little Ben Yu to my left, he was part of the Magic community. And if it wasn't enough to have two Magic players at our table, we had a third Magic player, Justin Bonomo. Now, there was only one of him at the table. There weren't a few Justin Bonomos. We only had one Justin Bonomo here. Uh, <laughs> the infamous multi-accounter, who uh, has since mended his ways, apparently. Uh, unlike other cheaters who were repeat offenders and are known as uh, perpetual scumbags, uh, Justin Bonomo, it was probably uh, youthful indiscretion, where he was just too immature to uh, do the right thing. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that it seems like he's grown up since then. And... Uh, as to, he, you know, he used to multi-account in tournaments on Poker Stars, and, and on Full Tilt. And uh, in fact, he even had a few situations where he was at the at a final table or or some deep table with his own other account, which is really bad. So uh, apparently, he mended his way since then and has been scandal-free since that uh, pretty bad multi-accounting incident. But yeah, everyone will always associate Justin Bonomo with multi-accounting. He'll never completely shake that. But uh, he was at the table in seat number eight, 
And then in seat number nine, we had the unknown, an old man, 64 years old, named Michael Moore from South Dakota. And uh, he looked and acted like a 64-year-old guy from South Dakota. Just, uh, he, he really just had that demeanor about him. Seemed like a nice enough guy, but uh, he definitely had that demeanor about him. Now, of course, everybody at the table, uh, except for Michael Moore, is pretty aware that everyone at the table, aside from Michael Moore, is you know, somewhat accomplished in poker. So uh, everybody's thinking, okay, we know who the fish is here. And, and you know, partially, yeah, that's a stereotype because of his age, but also because he's unknown. And if you have like a 23-year-old who's unknown, you assume, okay, this guy must just be an online kid nobody knows. But, yeah, a 64-year-old, you don't assume that. Usually, And basically anyone over 40 at the table you don't know uh, and that nobody knows you assume is probably not as good as everybody else. And, and right. when I say that, I, I would include anyone my own age. I'm not just trying to put down older people because I'm over 40. And, uh, you know, if, if they saw me at the table and had no idea who I was, and nobody had any idea who I was, if I was a new guy to the game, they'd probably think I was the fish. Now, now it's yeah. true that people will assume more that the older guy is the fish than, than the guy who's 40, but uh, I, anyway, that, that was the assumption. Now, I didn't play with him much, and um, from playing with him there at the, uh, at the final table... Uh, it was kind of a learning process with him. He definitely was not as experienced in Limit Hold'em as everybody else here. He definitely made a number of, uh, I wouldn't say rookie mistakes. He wasn't new to the game, but he did a lot of things that you just wouldn't do. He once cold called A7 offsuit on the button. Uh, right. He once uh, he flatted 9-6 suited from an early position raise, which in a cash game is not terrible, but uh, um, in a tournament you never do that because you're trying to preserve your chips. You don't ever want to get yourself in that type of spot in Limit Hold'em. Uh, but the A7 especially was pretty bad. There, there's a number of things he did there that no one else at the table would have done. In fact, Justin Bonomo at one point, when he was short-stacked, limped from the small blind to Michael Moore's big blind, because they were right next to each other. And uh, the commentators said, and were actually correct, that Bonomo probably did that because he knew that uh, Michael Moore was the only guy who was not going to just uh, insta-raise him with any two. That Michael Moore will probably check back with, uh, with, with anything that isn't a good hand. And, and that's what he did, and then and then Bonomo was able to steal the pot. So uh, Bonomo did this. It's kind of a smart play by Bonomo there, thinking I don't have many chips. I don't want to waste my chips on a small blind, big blind confrontation when I have like a mediocre hand. I think he had like a jack four or something or jack six, something like that. So he didn't want to shoot off a lot of chips that way and then miss the flop. So he's like, you know, I'll check. I'll see how strong the old man is. If he checks, then I know he has a weak hand too, and then I'll just fire at any flop. And so he did that and he won the hand. So. Uh, that's actually a play I've actually um, – I never used to limp in from the small blind, small blind, big blind. But if I have somebody really weak that's like on the left of me in the big – I'll limp in sometimes and, you know, just bet at the pot blind no matter what happens or, um, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting something. strategy if, you, if, you don't, if you, you're pretty sure the person is not going to raise you light from the big blind uh, preflop and take control. Or so, if it's an absolute crazy maniac, you could do the same thing too. I mean, you could limp in and just, you know, to get in cheap because you know they'll always three bet you and you could yeah. win some big pots that way. And for Bonomo, but, it was very important here not to waste too many chips because, uh, you know, he was kind of short at that time. That, that was just one example. Yeah. So, so anyway, that was the makeup of the table. And, and for quite some time, um, the table is playing pretty tight. Pretty straightforward, and when I say straightforward, I mean I don't mean like dumb straightforward, like like where it's uh, 
Um, 100% obvious what everybody has, but just like think of like the typical tight aggressive player, and then kind of spread him all throughout the table, all throughout the table, and that's pretty much uh, what you were seeing here. And and I was playing like that too, especially since I had chips, and I, I said I'm, I don't want to waste my chips in marginal spots. I, I was folding king eight offsuit on the big blind uh, because not not to a small blind raise, but like to a late position raise. Um, I, I was actually folding hands like that because I, I don't want to go up against king ten, king jack, king queen, and uh, you know and shoot off a lot of chips. I, I don't want to flop the eight and be against ace eight or pocket nines or something. So you know, like I, so I actually played differently than I do in a cash game because I I was playing tournament strategy that I just don't want to shoot off chips in a bad spot. And in, in limit, this is important because in no limit, um, you, you're not forced to call all the way down even if you flop top pair. Or if you flop middle pair or whatever, in limit it's a lot harder to fold hands, and uh, and yet if you don't fold hands, you can waste a lot of chips. So you just really want to avoid the dominated spots in limit hold'em tournaments, especially late in the game. And and I I, w- I wasn't a genius for thinking about this. This is pretty much what most of the people at the table were doing, and I knew it, and they knew it, and they knew I was doing it, and I knew they were doing it. So uh, the only one who wasn't really on this plan <laughs> for the most part was was Michael Moore. Um. Now, don't think that Michael Moore was just killing everyone thanks to playing a different strategy. Uh, he was down to a tiny, tiny stack at least once, uh, more than once. As was Gabriel Nassif. He was down to almost nothing at various times during the final table. So, of course, who are the final two? Michael Moore and Gabriel Nassif. They, they both, and it was both thanks to me. Uh, Gabriel Nassif got it all in with uh, when he had 49K. And this was actually a late 49K, not even like a right at the beginning of the final table 49K. Back when uh, 49K was actually, uh, it's when the blinds were uh, 10,000, 20,000. He had 49K. And he raised under the gun and I had ace deuce and the small blind. So of course I had to put him in. You know, he's under the gun. He just lost a hand a few hands ago. He's about to take the blind the next hand for for 20,000. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously when he raises and has 49k total, I have to put him in with the ace-deuce, and I'm unfortunate enough to run into a ace-queen that he fortunately got on the uh, under the gun when he desperately needed it, and I lost the hand. That doubled him up, and then he never looked back. And the old man, um, very similar spot later on when he had a 98k, and I raised with ace-10 from... Uh, middle position, and he had uh, pocket queens in the big blind and re-raised me. And by the time he re-raised me, I was pot committed. So, uh, and then I didn't win that hand either. So both of them just went straight up from there, and eventually they faced each other heads up, and the old man just uh, could not run bad and, in fact, put down a bad beat to win the final hand. He uh, he had 10-4 against Nassif's jack-queen, the flop game jack-10-something, and then the 10 on the turn. And that was the end of Nassif, and old man Michael Moore was the winner. But by the time they got to the end there, um, how many big bets did they have each? Well, yeah, I'm going to get into that. Yeah, there, that was a big problem okay. with this table. So, as you might imagine, in a table where um, Gabriel Nassif rises from uh, 49K to be second place, and where Michael Moore rises from 98K to be first place, and you, you might have to think that there might have been a problem with the table with people not busting fast enough. And when I say fast enough, I mean that at these events, since the blinds keep going up every hour, that uh, if people don't bust, 
the longer this goes on, eventually everyone's short. Let's think of it a different way. Uh, let's think of a nine-handed table where somehow, this of course would never happen, but let's say somehow nobody ever lost consecutive hands. Every hand it would be someone would win chips, uh, the next person would win the chips that the first person lost, and we keep going around in a circle where everyone just keeps winning each other's chips. And, and, and when you get uh, you know, 12 hours later, everyone has the identical stacks to each other as they started with. And everyone has identical stacks at the table. And no one's lost chips, no one's busted after 12 hours. That's not what happened here, but I'm just saying this weird like alternate universe hypothetical. What would happen would be the blinds would get so high that everyone would be so short that um, literally a few hands would decide the whole thing for everybody. And, and when I say few hands, I mean total. In fact, if this went on long enough, it would get so high that everyone would pretty much effectively be all in <laughs> uh, on their blinds. Now, this has never happened to that degree because, uh, of course, nobody completely trades pots nine-handed for, uh, for all those hours. But we had a lesser form of that occurring here. We lost three players uh, slowly, but not super slowly. We lost uh, Justin Bonomo first. We lost Greg Mueller second. He went to eighth place. And then I knocked out Ben Yu in seventh place. But then the, f- the remaining six stayed on for a freaking eternity. How much of an eternity? By the time we went to dinner, six levels in, all six people were still here. So, uh, when, we w- when we went to dinner, I was in bad shape. I had just lost a few hands. I took some bad beats. Um, Ronnie Barda was looking good, or so people thought. He had 770,000 chips. There was only 2.5 million chips in the whole tournament. He had 770, which you know is obviously not a, a super dominating lead. But the next one down, Gabriel Nassif had 485, so pretty good for Barda. Uh, and then everybody went down from there. I was the lowest stack at 182, which is in big trouble because we were going to be having 13,000, 25,000 blinds playing. Uh, 25,000, 50,000 limit hold'em. So 182,000, as you can imagine, is a disaster. But let's look at Ronnie Barda, the chip leader with 770. He's not in that good a shape either. With every small bet being 50,000. Or sorry, yeah, yeah, every every uh, um, or actually, every small bet being 25,000, every uh, big bet being 50,000. Uh, he's not in very good shape there. So, uh, you know, you raise pre-flop, it's 50000 right there. Right. You uh, you get raised in the turn, it's 100000 right there. So yeah, at, this you, po- at this point, I mean, whoever gets hot, I mean, someone could get hot and just take all the chips quickly here. Right. You know? So oh. so Bart is standing there at the dinner break waiting to return. And his friend, a few of his friends go to, oh, man, you're going to get this thing. I can see it. Oh, wow. 770, you're, you're beating him down. You know, you've got this one. And he looked very unhappy. And he said... At this time last year, in this same tournament with almost the exact same field, because we, we had 170 people this year. We had 166 last year. If you remember last year, I bubbled it. I finished 19th last year on the bubble, losing four straight hands to go out. So uh, this year I avenged that bubble by not only cashing but final tabling. And that was very important to me to do. I, I said, I really want this event badly, this 5K, this year. But, but anyway, Barta was saying... You know, last year by this time, by this level, we were heads up. And we said we, you know, he wasn't one of the people, but 
he, he was watching it. He said it was heads up at this point last year. So this way, of course, you know they had more chips between the it's only between two people. He said here we have six people, and at the same point we had two last year, and it wasn't because last year was so fast; it's because this year was so slow. Nobody was busting. That was the theme this year at the final table. Nobody was busting. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I was I was actually at a cookout on Saturday, and I saw some of the first few updates and. You know, I got home like six or seven hours later, and I was like, you know, I'll just see how Druff did. And I, I go online, and I'm like, what the hell? There's still like six or seven people left. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. It was crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, nobody could believe it. And, and, and there was nobody who was ever completely dominating either. It was like a, a trade of chip leads. I was a, a very small chip leader a few times at the final table, but never by more than like a tiny bit. And uh, and then there were a few people who had a chip lead of like seven hundred thousand to four hundred something thousand. Like uh, Brian Alexa had that at one point. Um, Ronnie Barda, as I said at the dinner break, seven seventy to four eighty five. But he was saying to his friends, "This is brutal." He said, "I have thirteen big bets." Now he was actually wrong. He had fifteen, but whatever. I have you know thirteen, fifteen big bets. All it's going to take is a small losing streak, and I'm gone. That's what he said. He said, "I, I don't like this at all," and he was right. Barda finished third. So he, he, he saw what was going on there. He saw that 770 really meant nothing there with the blinds being that high. All you had to do was uh, you know, lose one real pot you play against the guy with 400,000, and all of a sudden he's got the seven and you've got the four. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't watch it after I was gone. It was just too depressing to me to watch. I watched the results. I wasn't watching every hand. I wasn't watching the feed. So I don't even know how Barter lost his chips. But um, I can tell you that he was right, that it wasn't hard to lose his chips, given what the blinds were. So that became the problem. Now, this was actually an advantage for me once I was short-stacked. Once I was down to 182, it was a little bit of a disadvantage as far as, uh, you know, that, that I had to get cards quickly. But I said, you know what, this really does give me the best chance to come back. Because... Uh, um, if I get a hand, I can double up. People are going to have a hard time folding against me. And then if I double up, I'm, I'm not in that bad of a shape. And if I win another good hand, all of a sudden I'm up with the leaders again. I, I have to win like two hands that play all the way through to get back up there. So I wasn't even like counting myself out yet. But at the same time, I knew that if I could not get anything going within the next few rounds, I was done because the blinds were just too big. So... Um, I had a few other thoughts when that happened. And that was, I wonder at what point, at what point do I take the attitude of not giving up on the tournament? I would never do that. But at what point do I take the attitude of, do I want to try to wait out other short stacks busting ahead of me to move up in money? Because this is real money you're moving up for now. Sixth place paid about 40 k Fifth place paid fifty-two and a half k. Fourth place paid sixty-nine k. That's a twenty-nine thousand dollar difference right there, just by surviving two people busting. And with the blinds being that high, I knew this couldn't go on forever. But at the same time, I didn't want to survive uh, at the expense of chipping up and winning. So, I, on one hand, I wasn't going to be folding ridiculously tight just so I could squeak into a higher spot. I really wanted that bracelet. At the other hand, on the other hand, I wasn't going to just go go crazy gambling 
thinking, you know, I, I got to get up to be number one or bust or, or, or it's all the same to me. I definitely wanted the extra money, but I also really wanted the second bracelet. It's kind of a weird, contradictory thing I had going on there. Well, it became even more of that decision when right after we came back from the dinner break, Brian Alexa lost hands and uh, Dom, whatever his last name was, lost hands. And suddenly they were actually both a tiny bit shorter than me. I was down to like 130-something K. So I lost a hand where I raised and uh, barred a three-bet me and uh, I checked fold of the flop. Turned out he had queens and I was crushed. But I was still ahead of Brian Alexa and Dom there who both had uh, like around 100 or, or 90. So I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be sweet if they both bust and I get a minimum of 69 here instead of 40? Well, I got half my wish. Uh, first, Brian went all in against uh, old man Michael Moore, but Brian did have nines against Michael Moore's ace nine. The nines held, so Brian doubled up. But a few hands later, Dom had ace nine against Ronnie Barda's eights, and Barda flopped a set of eights. And that was all she wrote for Dom, who went out sixth. So I thought, all right, well, this is the first good thing that's happened to me all day. I got 12000 bucks by just sitting and watching this. I'm like, wow, that was $12,000. That's like more than the main event, more than the main event costs. You know? Like, that's, uh, that's not like moving up a few hundred bucks in one of these uh, giant no-limit events. Some serious cash. Yeah, I, I, I moved up 12000 bucks by just sitting and watching another short stack just go boom you know, and fall, fall out. Well, yes, that, that's a great feeling when you move up the pay scale like that. Yeah, yeah, twelve thousand dollars. I mean, it's a, it's a big move up. So it's so, a big jump. So then the next one would have been seventeen. Unfortunately, there was going to be no one who was going to quickly bust like that again because I was the short stack now. Well, I knew Alexa was the other, you know, fairly short stack. He had just doubled up, but uh, he still was kind of short. Still in the two hundreds. But it wasn't a very long wait for me. Very next hand after Dom busted. I'm on the button with pocket sevens. And Brian Alexa raises pre-flop. I have a whole 90K at this point. <laughs> so so I uh, put it all in, obviously. He goes for the, you know, he raised in the cutoff. I put mine all in from the button with the sevens. Hoping, of course, to see sixes or less, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably just going to be up against overcards and it'll be a race. And that's what it was. He had king-queen suited. And the flop came out very nice. Jack, eight, low card. I mean, not as nice as a seven, but nothing that helped him. But I just had this feeling it wasn't going to work for me. And there it came on the turn. A queen rolled out, and I was dead. Almost dead. Dead to two outs. Didn't get him. I was done in fifth place. Didn't watch what happened after that, but Alexa finished fourth. Barta third. Gabriel second. And Michael Moore, the old man. who And I watched the whole stream, and he did make a number of uh, mistakes that an expert player would not make. Won the bracelet at the very difficult 5K Limit Hold'em event. First place paid $212,000. And I have to say that, uh, well, I would have loved to have won that. The kind of flattened final table pay structure these days actually helped me. Because uh, usually fifth place is not getting a quarter of what first place is. So, I was glad to see that fifth paid as much as 52 if first is getting 211. So that helped yeah. me here, given what I finished. But at first, I wouldn't have liked that. But, uh, so 52,582, almost 52,600 is what I got out of a $5,000 buy-in. 
we had 55% of my actions sold to members of PokerFraudAlert.com. And they were all very happy to see this. Not as happy as if I would have won. But uh, let me give you the list of people on Poker Fraud. I'll give a shout out to them because, uh, you know, the last few years, I, I, I took, uh, the first year I actually took investments and actually played, in 2010 I let people buy pieces of me in this event, but then I didn't play because I got sick. But uh, the first time I actually took p- uh, people buying pieces of me and actually played was in 2011 and I bricked almost everything. Then in 2012 I came back and people bought pieces of me and I bricked almost everything. Both years I just made one min cash. So I, I, I was embarrassed, actually. I really wasn't... Emba- I didn't want to say it, but I was embarrassed. Now, I know yeah. this, ha- this happens in the tournaments, but I was embarrassed. Eh, shouldn't get embarrassed about that, but I know what you mean. When you sell some action, you you know, when you're losing, you know, everybody, you know, a lot of people expect you to win, even yeah. though even though it's like a tiny sample you're playing. Yeah, you know, I know. But, uh, that's, I know but the I, feeling. Yeah, I was embarrassed. It was, it was two years in a row, and I, I bricked it. And, like, people, and like, some of the people who were, who were buying pieces of me, I, I could tell these weren't like just like rich guys who were just throwing money around. These are, these are people who uh, you know, really wanted to give their hard-earned money to me, just working people who, who wanted to take a shot on me and uh, were hoping it was a good investment. And, uh, you know, and I felt it was, but then I, I didn't convert for them, and, and they, they lost, and the money just went down a rat hole. So I was like, shit, I, you know, two years in a row. I hope I don't lose it three years in a row. But I, I don't know if I'll even ask anyone to buy pieces of me the fourth year in a row if I, if I suck like this like I did the last two years. So uh, the first event, I, at least I made a min cash. Second event I played, I didn't sell any pieces of myself. I just kept that one for myself and didn't cash. So this was actually the second event I was playing this year that anyone had pieces of me after cashing small on the first one. And then they get this this uh, very nice cash. So, so far I'm two for two on events where people bought pieces of me from Poker Fraud Alert. So <laughs> no one has lost yet uh, in 2013 who bought pieces of me. Uh, so here's the... the uh, actually, let me go to the payout page of all the money people made from this. And, uh, you know, I wish it was four times that, but uh, I think they'll take this. So, PLOL, $5,784.02. He gets paid for this. C-Money, the guy who can speak to the wormhole. $10,516.40 he gets from this. Wormhole always always on point. Uh, Just wanted to add in that C-Money had a big bet tonight on the Blackhawks over the Bruins, and they were trailing by a goal with five minutes to go, and they scored two goals in the last five minutes and won the Stanley Cup. Wow. So Wormhole's alive and well. Then uh, the following three people all won $525.82 each. That's the snake in the ass who donated uh, to tonight's free roll. Hockey guy, Clown Buster, who I met this year. He introduced himself to me. Anonymous, who took three pieces of me, got paid one thousand five hundred seventy-seven dollars and forty-six cents. Fright won five twenty-five eighty-two. System out print line and painless one both won a thousand fifty-one dollars and sixty-four cents. Uh, Crow Diddley Gut and an anonymous person all each won uh, five twenty-five dollars and eighty-two cents. And then another big investor, Sidewinder, is going to get paid five thousand two hundred fifty-eight dollars and twenty cents. People, this is what you get for having faith in me. Thank you for not. I know some of you uh, backed off after I uh, 
airballed it pretty much for two years, but uh, this is what you get for having faith in me. I finally come through eventually. So I, I'm looking to keep keep this up here. You know, like if you think about it, eight years ago in 2005, I, I made a final table of a limit event, the very first World Series event I played, and I finished third. And like this one, I was the chip leader at one point at the final table, but just uh, didn't end up winning. But I wasn't done. The very next limit event I played, in fact, the very next event period I played, I won for 347 grand. So I'm hoping that I have a, at least one more of these in me. And that's that a record, to too, isn't it, for it, the first it, two events yes. and finishing first and third? Yes, it's a record that still has not been broken in the World Series. Nobody's ever entered the World Series and in their first two events finished better than first and third. So. Yeah, that will be a tough one to break, too, I mean, especially with a lot of people playing these large no-limit fields. I mean, that, yeah. that, that could be like the 56-game hitting streak for Joe DiMaggio here. <laughs> Just never see it get broken. Yeah. Some people think Madsen broke my record, but he didn't. He had a better year than me the next year, but he had some non-caches in between his two firsts and two thirds. Right. So, uh, but but anyway, that's uh, that's the payouts here for event thirty-seven. I'm playing again tomorrow at the anti-only no limit, and some people laugh at that and say, you know, what do you know about anti-only no limit? Well, I uh, I actually thought and read about this some um, before playing last year. It was a new event last year, and uh, and I was convinced I had a, a fairly good strategy for it between what people had written about it and what I had my own opinions of it. And it worked pretty well last year. I just re- completely ran out of cards deep in the event and you know got through about 80% of the field and then busted. So as soon as I was out, I said, you know what, I just ran out of cards here, but um, I look forward to this next year. So that's going to be tomorrow. Uh, it might be a little bit harder tomorrow since people got experience with it last year, but uh, I, I really liked it last year, and uh, we'll see what I can do with it this year. Again, people have pieces of me on that one. People have like 40% or more of me in all the events uh, on Poker Fraud Alert. So if, if I cash, you guys cash. And the only thing I'm playing on this, the only thing on the schedule for me that I'm playing that people don't have pieces of me is the main event. That one I just don't sell. That's just a, a personal thing to me. I just want to keep all that for myself. And, uh, but uh, I, ho- I hope I can do it again for you guys. So far, two for two this year on a Poker Fraud Alert bought events. Two for three overall so far. I've only played three events this World Series. And uh, missed an event, of course, on the day of the final table that uh, I had scheduled. So people getting refunds on that one. And uh, tomorrow, we will see. And, you know, I hope I do well enough on this anti-only no limit to miss the 2500 limit as much as I want to play that one. I'll be happy to miss it if I make it that far in the anti-only no, no limit. So uh, that, that's that's at five on the twenty-sixth, uh, two days from now, the uh, twenty the twenty-five hundred six max limit. And then uh, if I don't make it to day two there, I will be playing a fifteen hundred no limit at noon on the twenty-seventh. And if I don't make day three of that, my final preliminary event of the year will be June twenty-ninth, another fifteen hundred dollar no limit event that's the rest of my schedule then i don't play again till the main so i thank everybody again who had faith in me this year and and bought pieces of me in the world series and i'm glad i converted for people here and i'm glad some people made some money uh i got got a question for you druff um early in this tournament the 5k limit was there any dead money yes there was yeah that that's what i heard too i heard that it's pretty soft, like early in the turn, you know, first yes, there, day there, or whatever. There were and always are some people in this 5K event who are surprisingly bad. Not like mega mega fish, but uh, people who definitely you can tell are much worse 
than the good players there and are definitely right. the soft spots you can pick on to get free chips. And that's why sure. that's why this is still a worthwhile event to play from a value standpoint. Uh, it, it's a great event to play from a bracelet standpoint because you don't have to get through a 7,000-person field to win. But, right. uh, but, but also from a value standpoint, it's, it's actually not bad. Now, the, the tough thing from a value standpoint is that you're going to have a lot of tough players in there. Out of, out of that 170, a lot of them are good. And, uh, and that's the hard thing to navigate through. Is that you're you're not going to get to a final table where where four of the players suck, right? And, and as you saw here, the cards also dictate a lot of your success there too. So the the worst player of the nine there ended up winning, and he was the worst right. player of the nine. You know, I'm not trying to be mean or, or I'm jealous or anything. He he was definitely the worst player of the nine. If you watch the replay of everything, oh, it's clear, yeah, crystal clear. If you watch that, you know that's that's true. But uh, but the thing is, he wasn't like horrendous where he had no chance. Right. And, uh, All and, it and, takes is him to run a little bit good, and you know you can overcome those mistakes with a yeah. small amount of bets. Yeah. Um, and, and, how, and how did he play when it got to heads up? Like uh, I don't know. That's the one thing I was wondering. Did you see the end of it? No, I, I didn't want to watch. I just okay. kind of lightly watched the updates. I, I just have this thing. I don't like watching tournaments where uh, where I've busted. I just get right. depressed. But uh, right. I, I want to talk about yeah. something else related to this tournament, but not so much the play. Um. The broadcast, I told you guys I'd get to this, and I definitely want to talk about it. The broadcast had those color commentators, uh, David Baker and Justin Peachy, and then later on Matt Metros came in to replace, uh, I think, first Justin and then David. But uh, Now, I don't have a problem with anything Justin or Matt said. As Matt came in later anyway. But uh, from what I could tell, they were uh, fairly respectful in how they were uh, talking about me. But David Baker... I do have a problem with the way he was. Now, before I begin, I want to let everybody know I'm not sensitive. I don't feel bad when David Baker says bad things about me. I don't care if David Baker likes or dislikes me. I, I don't see why he does dislike me. I, I know why he doesn't, but I think it's stupid, and I'll explain it in a second. But I don't care so much what David Baker thinks of me. I don't care even if he wants to insult me to his friends behind my back or whatever. I don't care. As long as he doesn't do anything to directly hurt me, which, which he doesn't, I don't care if he doesn't like me. There's always going to be people who don't like me, and I'm aware of that. And that's fine. I'm not on him for not liking me. Um, what I didn't like was the fact that people who watch this broadcast are not all insiders in poker. It's a lot of people who are just fans of poker, a lot of people who are friends of mine, a lot of people who are family members of mine. And they don't know if I have any history with David Baker. They they don't understand what's a good and bad play. They don't understand final table etiquette. So they hear the commentator saying that I'm I'm Hollywooding, I'm stalling, I'm um, you know I'm playing this hand terribly, that hand terribly. I'm getting lucky, and the other you know and, and screwing these other players who are so skillful. Like you know, if that's what the person really believes, that's one thing. But if they're just doing it because they're looking for every reason to pick on me because they don't like me personally, that's shitty. And that's definitely what he did. Now, I'm not saying that David Baker completely just made up things out of the blue to say that he didn't, like, partially feel. But um, let me give you an example. Um, if, uh, you know, if you see somebody, uh, you, you see two people at a table who... Uh, and and one of them has a really ugly shirt on, or say two of them have a really ugly shirt on. The one you don't like, you're probably going to make a comment. Hey, that guy has an ugly shirt. 
and look at that guy and laugh at him. The one who you do like, you're going to say nothing. You're going to pretend you don't see the ugly shirt. In fact, you might even find a different way to describe it and say, hey, this guy really has a unique style. That's what was going on with David Baker. Is anything that uh, he could find negative to say about me, even if he had to stretch to say it, he would say it. And uh, certain players at the table that he really liked, he would find every reason to compliment them and every reason not to say anything bad about them. And, um, you know, pretty much when I beat them, it was me playing bad and getting lucky. When they beat me, it was them having a lot of gamble and them... uh, um, being composed. Yeah, and... <laughs> being composed. Right, right, right. Now, like, or, or if if they're taking a, lo- a really, really, really long time for a decision, like longer than they should, and, and holding up the game, they're just uh, putting a lot of thought in their decisions because it's very important. Right. If I yeah, like, I, I remember there was one hand where Nasif had like a king high flush draw and two overcards, and he got check raised on the turn, and it took him about two minutes to make what was like an obvious call. Right. You know, like. He didn't really say much about that. Yeah, he but. didn't. And yet, yet I took five seconds to fold a hand one time to just give off the impression like I didn't have complete garbage when I did. And, and I was criticized for, for Hollywood. And he said, what David Baker said on that one is, that one's classic whittles. He didn't know how to pronounce my name at that point. So that one is classic whittles, he said. So it wasn't even like, like oh, I don't like how Todd waited five seconds there. I think he should just fold. It was actually, oh, yeah, that's classic Whittles. He's just, uh, he's just Hollywooding there. And, uh, you know, uh, limit holder players, they just play. They, they don't do this. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, that's not how we play us limit holding players. Yeah. We just play. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and that hand in, in, in particular, what happened was I raised with ace-two suited. Ben Yu three-bet me with ace-queen. Of course, I didn't know what he had, but I wasn't happy with the three-bet there. Flop came... I had ace two of spades. The flop came jack ten eight of clubs. That couldn't be much worse for ace two of spades. So so yes, clear fold. There was nothing to think about. But I checked very quickly. He bet. Yes, I knew I was throwing my hand in the muck the second he bet. But I don't want to throw my hand in the muck right away. In a cash game, yeah, I do. But um, here, I don't want to give away that my hand was so weak. That uh, that I had to throw it away that fast. That there wasn't even like a moment to think about it. Because then he thinks, okay, I wonder what Druff had there. And if I throw it away too fast, then he says, well, then Druff probably doesn't have ace-king. He probably doesn't have ace-queen. May not even have sevens or, or sixes. I wonder what he had. Like Then he starts to know what I, what I probably raised with. And yes, he could probably kind of find out in half an hour later. But at that moment, I think me taking five seconds, which is really all I took. I'm not exaggerating. I took five seconds to throw away the ace-deuce when I really knew I was throwing it away in zero seconds is no big deal. I've wasted five seconds of everyone's time and for a very good strategic reason that I don't want to give away that my hand airballed that flop that badly and give away what my hand was. And also, I don't want to create the psychological impression that all you have to do is three-bet me and then bet the flop and I instantly release because I'm, I'm just so scared to call down after that. that you could just three-bet me light every time and I'll, I'll release the flop. I didn't want that either with a guy who had position on me. So that's something I always do in tournaments. I don't, And I also don't want to give away any tells for when I really do have a decision to make. Right. So, so this the whole, that, that's all part of, of not giving off tells, of trying to balance your, uh, the time you take with things so it doesn't give away information in the future. So I wasn't Hollywooding. Hollywooding would be go, oh, man, oh, I can't believe this. 
man, you know what? I, I've got I, I've got ace king of hearts here, but I'm going to lay it down because I hate jack ten nine jack ten eight of clubs. I'm throwing away my ace king of hearts now, and then I really hit ace deuce of spades. Or, or like what Vanessa Russo did when she said so sick. Oh yeah, so sick. Yeah, like that's that's Hollywooding. I was just right. taking five seconds. I said nothing. I I didn't I didn't look angry or anything. I just checked. He bet. Wait five seconds, pretending to think. Throw it away. That's all I did. And he said, that's classic Wotelis. Limit hold'em players don't do this. We just play. Now, you might wonder, why is, why is uh, David Baker doing things like this? And he, he made plenty of other comments throughout the final table like this. Some about my play itself. Some about like etiquette things like what I just described there. And they were all overly critical. Even the ones where he may have been right, or may have been partially right, or maybe it was a something where you can go either way on it, even if it was really his opinion. He he made it much more of a big deal than it really was. So um, he always made sure to mention when I got lucky, especially if I was playing a hand against his friends. Like this Dom guy was a friend of his, so anytime I was in a hand against Dom, he he was you know not not only who he was rooting for, but uh, he he would make really really critical comments if I'd like put a beat on Dom. But if the reverse happened, then uh, of course not. So the reason David Baker does not like me is so dumb, unless you already read it on the forum, you won't believe it. It goes back to 2007. David Baker then was not all that well-known. He was known in the, in the like commerce cash gain scene, but that was about it. He wasn't uh, anywhere as well-known as he is today. Um, I knew he was from KD, Texas, which is near Houston. I was playing on Absolute Poker. This is right before the scandal. And a kid sat at the table, who I hadn't seen before, from Katy, Texas. So I see a Limit Hold'em player from Katy, Texas sitting with me. I know of David Baker, the Limit Hold'em player, who plays around my level, who's from Katy. So I'm thinking, it's got to be David Baker. So I asked this kid, are you David Baker? And he actually tells me no. And it, and it was the truth. It wasn't David Baker. It was a coincidence. He said, I'm not David Baker. I know who it is. In fact, my dad is friends with him. But I'm only 18 years old. So I said, okay. And I, and I, I believed him. So then from that point, whenever me and the kid played in a pot and he'd win, I'd say things like, nice hand, David. And it was kind of just like I, I'd joke with him like, as if he was really still David. Uh, everybody, all the regulars on the site understood it was a joke. No one ever thought I was seriously saying that this kid was David Baker. And this kid, in order to like uh, uh, return the joke on me, started calling me David Baker. So when I'd beat him, he'd say, uh, nice hand, David. And, and, and it would go back and forth like that. All, just a totally harmless joke. And nothing bad was ever said about David. It's not like we were saying, oh, I'm David Baker, and I do such and such, or I look like such and such, and you know, we'd, we'd laugh. Like, nobody was, was making fun of him at all. It was just a, a joke between me and him of, like, I think he's David Baker, and he thinks I'm David Baker. And we, yet none of us really think that. So it was a stupid little thing. Well, somehow this got back to David Baker. So a few months later, I'm at Commerce, and David Baker, he's sitting at the table there with me, and he's kind of like not even wanting to look at me. He, I could tell he like doesn't like me already. I'm already thinking, hmm, I wonder if he heard about what's going on there and doesn't like it. So finally, he said at one point, just out of nowhere, that he heard that I've been impersonating people in online poker. I've been impersonating other players. So obviously I knew what he was referring to. 
So right then I said, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. Let me explain the way this really is. Let me explain what really happened there. I wasn't impersonating you. Nobody was impersonating you. Let me, let me tell you the way it went down. I told him the whole story that I just told you guys right now in exactly that way. Made sure he completely understood no one was imitating him, no one believed it was really him, that we weren't doing it in a mean-spirited way. I tried to be as nice as possible about it. I tried to be, you know, I tried to really make him understand that there was no harm meant by this. And he didn't believe me. He didn't say, oh, I don't believe you. He didn't say, you're full of shit. But he just went, okay, whatever. Like, you know, like he, he didn't talk to me again after that. And uh, I could tell he still really, really didn't like me and did not believe my explanation. He thought I was full of shit, I was imi- that I was imitating him for some reason. And, and every time I've played with him since then, while we never have any kind of direct confrontations, I get this strong vibe out of him, wow, this guy does not like me. So, whatever, you know, I, my feelings weren't hurt by this. I thought it was too bad that David Baker disliked me over something that I, you know, wasn't doing anything, har- I wasn't doing anything to harm him. Just because of an innocent joke, he, he really disliked me and wouldn't even believe what really was the case. But fine, I can't convince him of it. I'm not going to beat him over the head with it. If he doesn't, if he, he doesn't want to believe me, he doesn't want to like me, that's up to him. So six years went by like this. Obviously it didn't affect my life very much or at all. But then he happens to be the one chosen to commentate on this table. And if you listened to the commentary of his there... You could tell, I mean, it was transparent as Saran Rap that he did not like me. You could tell he was looking for reasons to pick on me. Had he just stuck to criticizing my play on certain occasions, and, and keep in mind, he did it in a subtle fashion. When I say subtle, he didn't say, oh, I think Dandruff is awful. I think Todd sucks. I think he's a, a horrible... And he didn't say anything like that. In fact, he would mix in the occasional uh, compliment that wasn't really much of a compliment. Um... So, so it wouldn't sound like he's being really bitter or, or doing this on purpose because he has some kind of malice toward me. But, uh, but he found every reason he could to criticize me. Every time I took a few seconds to act, he mentioned something about it. And again, I, I had no... And yet when I didn't take a long time to make a decision, he criticized that too. When uh, there, there was a hand where I had uh, King Jack and uh, Brian Alexa opened in late position. I three-bet him with King Jack. Uh, the flop came king seven jack. He check raised the flop. It was king seven jack with two hearts. He check raised the flop. I called. The turn was was a, a, a blank. He bet. I raised. He called. Turned out Alexa had king seven, so it was a pretty big, big cooler for him. Uh, that was actually the last hand I got any kind of luck on, by the way. But uh, the river was an awful ace of hearts, which meant the straight draw made it, and the heart draw made it. That was like the worst card ever, the Ace of Hearts. Now, it turned out the real worst card ever would have been a seven, but uh, I had no reason to think he had, you know, King Seven. I mean, it was possible, but I, I was thinking that uh, since I have the King and the Jack on the board, count King Jack Seven, and he check raises me, I'm thinking he's got to have Queen Ten or Hearts. So when the Ace that makes the straight for Queen Ten and the Heart Draw for the Heart Draw, you know, like, that's uh, that's a horrible card. So I, I felt I didn't have to think. I didn't want to bet. And, and Alexa's good enough to where he's not always going to fire out there where, where he can just uh, check-raise me. He may even think if he just fires out, I'll just fold. Or at the very least, he'll only get one bet. There's no way I'm going to raise him on that. So he, but he's thinking maybe he can check-raise me. And then if I've got a really big hand, I can't fold. So as soon as that ace hit, 
course, my thought process is, oh my god, that's the worst card in the deck. I'm definitely not betting here. I just hope I'm not losing. So he checked. I checked quickly. Alexa had King-7, fortunately, and I won the hand. So, so Baker criticizes me that uh, he says, well, I don't blame him for that check. I think the check there is fine. I think he needs to sit and think longer. Well, why do I need to think longer? I did the right thing. <laughs> I mean, I, that was the ultimate worst scare card. I wasn't betting it against the player who was capable of check-raising me there. There weren't that many hands he could have that weren't check-raising me there. And they were still going to call the river. So, you know, in a cash game, people... A cash game, I'm betting that still a lot of times. But uh, in a tournament, he's folding a lot tighter. And uh, and he's uh, he's capable of check-raising me there. And, and then, uh, then I, I've wasted two bets there when I could have uh, wasted zero. So... You know, I'm not betting it. And he didn't even criticize the, you know, I, I think Mattress, whoever was commenting with him at the time, was like, oh, no, this, that, I, mean, I don't mind the check. And Dave's like, no, 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 the check's fine. Like, I, I think the check's okay. It's just, uh, he really needs to spend more time thinking. So he couldn't even get the, be consistent about it. I, I'm not allowed to take five seconds to represent that I didn't completely miss the flop before folding, but but somehow I'm, I have to stop and wait and think before I check behind like that, if I already know I'm going to. So, um, so he was just going off on me with everything he could without sounding completely petty. Like he 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 was smart enough not to do it in a way where it was obvious he hated me. He did it in a way where it could still be seen as uh, credible that he just critical of my actions rather than me as a person. And I just I just really it just bothered me because I hate when people who are put in a position where they're supposed to be doing a job from a neutral standpoint, he wasn't being paid there. It's not a real job. But when you take a position to commentate on an ESPN final table, put your personal feelings about the person aside and just commentate really on what you see. And if there's something marginal, if there's a guy you don't like and you don't like that he's taking five seconds to react, you don't have to say anything about it. You want to comment on my strategy, fine. You, you don't agree what I did with a certain hand there, fine, say it. If, uh, it's it's similar to Jack Effel blocking people on Twitter. You got a job, then you should do it. You know, to the best of your ability, and yeah. you know, not put your and put your personal feelings aside. Exactly, know? and this yes, this is not a paid position, but it's like a volunteer job. It's a it's a um, it's something you're taking it, and you're when you take that type of job, even if they're not paying you, you're supposed to be doing it with the maturity of not letting your personal feelings get in the way. And I can tell you, even though there was no one I disliked when. I commentated on that 2009 final table that Greg Mueller won. If there was someone I disliked there, I would not have done that to them. I would not have tried to uh, embarrass them. I wouldn't have tried to uh, nitpick anything I could find to pick on them and, and to uh, you know, find everything I could that they were, I felt they were doing wrong or I could project they were doing wrong and then not say the same thing about others doing the identical thing or worse. And, uh, and, and he managed to throw in barbs every time. Oh, you know... Um, this is the third hand I've counted where Todd's uh, played this badly. But I, I just watched the whole broadcast today uh, of all the way up to the point when I busted. And then I didn't want to watch anymore. But I watched the whole broadcast. And I can tell you there was not one player at that table who didn't make some mistake at some point. Every single player at that table made at least one mistake through the po- through the point when I busted. And not just... When I, in my opinion, they even would say, oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, he shouldn't have done this. But they always had an excuse. 
oh, you know, I don't think uh, Dom should have called there, but I think he just got caught up in the moment. I think that was one of the excuses made for Dom. Now, Dom played very well. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to criticize Dom's play. He he played great. He did. He, you know, he made a really amazing check. I was impressed with Dom. It wasn't against me, but against Brian Alexa, he had Ace Queen Dom, and, and Alexa had King Jack. Uh, the board came Jack high, I believe. I didn't really watch the flop betting, but uh, um, on the turn, an Ace hit, and uh, or sorry, on the turn, a King hit, and Alexa tried to check raise him. So Alexa checked, and Dom checked. Well, that's pretty standard. He only has ace high, ace queen. Well, the ace hit the river. So Alexa's like, okay, well, I bet he had ace high and he hit the ace. So Alexa checked, and with ace queen top pair, after all this checking, (laughs) um, Dom checked again and was right. So uh, he he didn't go for that ace river check rate. I mean, it's one thing to bet that and then fold to a raise, but he, he didn't even bet it. Everyone couldn't believe that. So, I mean, he was a good player, this Dom kid. But uh, I watched the final table video, and he definitely made uh, a few mistakes. And and they commented. You know, they commented, oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, I don't think he should have made that call, whatever. But it was always qualified with, well, but he just called the river when he shouldn't have, so that's not that terrible. Or, oh, he just got caught up in the moment. So that, that it was always an excuse. If they if they saw something they didn't agree with, they said it, but they always said it in a nice way and it made an excuse for the person. Where with me, um, it, it was just me playing badly, and if I won the hand, it was me getting quote, getting lucky. So, and when I say they, I mainly mean David Baker. So, I I just again only reason I don't appreciate this is because when I have family members watching this who who barely understand enough poker to see what's going on. They they are not going to know that you're not supposed to take five seconds to fold occasionally when you've got a hand and you just want to represent you may have had something. They, they, they don't know that's not the etiquette. They, they, they don't know that uh, a play I made there wasn't, quote, horrible while the other guy, quote, just got caught in the moment. Like They're, they're going to believe that until I explain the whole thing to them. So... That that's what bothers me is because it's it's watched by a wide audience. It's not just uh it's not just our little community who can make better informed decisions for themselves based upon what they know. Yeah, I agree. So that, now the good thing was that he was so transparent with this to people who were in the community that like pretty much everyone on PFA, with only very few exceptions, totally saw through this without me even saying a word about it. Like I I'm reading the thread here, and before I even got to go home and post about all this crap. Uh, like I have pages and pages of people criticizing what he was doing, so it, you know, everyone else saw it here, and I, I don't. It's not, I'm not telling anyone who watched this anything new. It just it does bother me, and you know what if I end up commentating on a final table he's on? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do the same thing. I, I just think that's a, I think that's a lame thing to do. I think if you you volunteer to be a commentator, you you have to put all your personal feelings about players aside, and and almost pretend like it's it's uh, nine people you don't know. If yep. you want to say nice things, fine. I also think it's when you like someone, I don't think you should go overboard with it. And, and that's what he did with that Dom guy. I mean, he just he couldn't stop kissing that kid's ass. And, <laughs> and it's just I, I mean, great. They're friends. Fine. Like, let's say China Maniac made a final table and, and I was the commentator. I, I wouldn't pretend I don't know him. I wouldn't pretend he's not my friend. But I, I, I wouldn't make it so transparent who I'm rooting for. And, uh, and 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 you know, I, I wouldn't be ass kissing constantly. I would try to just keep it professional. So, 
Anyway, enough about that. I know you probably sure. I agree. I mean, you gotta you want to be objective about the hands, but at the same time, yeah, you got to put your personal feelings aside of whether they're really good or really bad or whatever. You know, you can make it known. You know, you know them. You don't. Whatever. But uh, yeah, he, he it seemed he did go a little overboard both ways. Yeah. But I think as far as breaking down hands, I thought he did a pretty good job overall. Um, commentating on just the hands themselves. Well, um, I, I disagree with some of the things he said. The only when he commented on my hands, some of them I felt that he criticized could have gone either way. Uh, some of them, some of them I felt he was just wrong. In fact, there was one where where even Matros disagreed with him. That was with the yeah. I, going oh in. yeah. Keep in mind though, I only saw like the first ninety minutes or so. I didn't yeah. get to watch. The and whole and thing, then there so. were the, and then there was the one I think he was right in hindsight was where I had pocket twos and I should have bet the turn. But um, but but it was also convenient. They didn't bother to he didn't bother to compliment the good fold I made on the river when he did get there. He was like, oh yeah, now he's like, yeah, Todd let him get there. Now he's going to pay it off. So then the old man bets. I actually don't pay it off and fold. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. I'm like, well, he didn't at least he didn't pay it off. No nothing. So anyway, um, but yeah, is, is David Baker a good limit holdem player? Yes. Is, is David Baker very aware of all the hands and in general is he good at uh, breaking them down? And giving the right strategical analysis, yes, I'm not. I'm not questioning David Baker's ability in poker, or uh, or even his ability to uh, break down hands in the final table. I, I didn't agree with everything he said, but uh, I. Everyone has their different opinions on how to play, and, and that's why I'm not mad at him for disagreeing with the way I played with certain hands. It was the way he presented it, and the fact that he was definitely looking for anything to criticize me he could. Including really petty and stupid things, and and just like whenever you nitpick something with someone, you don't like someone, you're trying to find bad things to say about them. It's always going to be a mixture of legitimate things that you have a point about, and some iffy things that you kind of have a point, but you're really stretching, and then some just total bullshitty lame things that you shouldn't even be saying. And there was a mixture of all three here. Some things he said about me that weren't, uh, you know, that, that were negative, were true, like that I, I should have bet that turn up with the twos. Uh, some things he said were, were iffy, like about, uh, uh, think of an example, like, like when I four bet ace king preflop at a position, uh, he can say he disagrees with it, but it's a, you know, he was making it out like it was a huge mistake. Uh, and then some of the things he said were just totally off base, like the thing with the five seconds to fold. And so, uh, it's a mixture of things, but he just shouldn't have been that way. Uh, I'm not going to talk about uh, any more specific hands. You can read poker fraud alert. And uh, in fact, I'm going to split up. Right now, most of the discussion of that event is in the main official World Series thread. But I don't really like that. I, I kind of want to make it its own thread. So later, I'm going to split this all into its own thread. So you can read all the discussion. I, I discussed some of the specific hands I played, and you guys can uh, read about those. I'm not going to make this a long uh, strategy session. So I'm not going to talk any more about any strategy at the final table or even about David Baker. But I want to talk a little bit about the winner, Michael Moore. And the fact that he has an unexpected but passionate fan base. Now, who would be a big fan of a guy who nobody knows from South Dakota, who's 64 years old, didn't have anybody in the audience cheering for him? I, I have the to side imagine. dish. Probably the side dish is one of them. But yeah, I, I I don't think there's many people. You know, I'm actually going to South Dakota next month. By the way, I should say hi to this guy. But <laughs> I've never been there. I'm going to be there next month. But uh, there is a what kind of fan base would this guy have who'd be passionate about him winning who, who are the happiest people right now that he won 
besides his family and friends? It's going to be the um, the the army, the Marines. Well, yes, he he was uh, a former, uh, I think, Marine and, and fought in the Vietnam War. And uh, but that's that's not exactly what I was getting at. I was getting at old people. For some reason, I didn't think about this till till this event. Because of the youth invasion in poker, the older people really feel like they they got to stick together, that they want to root for each other. Now, the truth is, in, in some poker circles, I'm one of the old people, and so are you, Mark. You, yeah. you know, you're like what, like, what are you, like five years younger than me or something? Yeah, thirty six. Yeah, exactly five years. So, so um, yeah, we're the old people. To some, but uh, when I say the old people, I mean the ones who are really considered senior citizens by pretty much everyone. So this guy looked like a senior citizen. He's and he's sixty four, and uh, he was uh, twenty three years older than the second oldest person at the table, who was me. So, um, apparently, uh, there's been a lot of backlash. Certain older people. Uh, like fans of poker or, or semi, I shouldn't say semi-pro, but the people who like poker and play it but aren't necessarily like pros, a lot of them really, really like it when fellow older people win because they feel like they're they're sticking it back to the young people who have taken over poker and especially because they feel like they're not getting any respect from the young people. They think when they sit down at the table, everyone thinks they're a fish just because they're old. And I have to admit, I think that sometimes an old person sits down, I think they're a fish. And this doesn't just come out of nowhere. I mean, the truth is a lot of the older people are fish. I don't think you become a fish when you get old. I think there's a reason the older people are fish. Uh, not, of course, all the time. There's some good older players. Uh, Dwell Brunson's not a fish, and he's 77. They just but, don't have the experience. Yeah, they don't have the experience, exactly. They They came into poker later, or they played very casually and never really took the game seriously and they didn't play a million hands online and they, you know, they just played, they either just kind of played low-limit poker occasionally or they just started playing because they're older, they have extra money now, they don't have a family to support anymore, they just want to play for fun and they, they, they don't take it as seriously as these younger players who do to support themselves. So I, I, I'm sure there's a reason that a lot of these older players are not as good as a whole, but uh, it is true that most people stereotype the older player as usually being the fish in the game, unless it's someone they know who, who would be good. Sometimes the old guy surprises you and ends up actually being good, but uh, frequently you're right about it, and the old guy isn't good. Well, it turned out that um, a member of our forum, and he's not the only person I heard this from, by the way. I, I heard other people I know. Other people I know who are older people were really rooting for this Michael Moore guy to win, including people who otherwise like me. That they actually were rooting for this Michael Moore to see as he's kind of close to their age and they kind of identify with him, and uh, like, yeah, good for him. He's sixty-four and the you know over twenty years older than the second guy, second oldest guy at the table, and he beats everyone. And they all think he's the fish. Wow, like like, like they they really are happy to see that. And uh, so uh, Jay Stat, who is uh, a member of our site and listens to this radio show. Apparently he got offended when I said in the chat room that uh, older people in the game are usually fish. I was talking at one point about the giving World Series tips and, and stereotyping people who sit with you. And if you see like a, an older white person that they usually suck. 
Well, uh, you know, I guess he took offense to this. He's an older guy himself. I think he's like 58. And uh, up till now, Jay Stad and I always got along very well. And he was, uh, you know, he's also a blackjack player like me. I don't play much blackjack anymore, but we both have an interest in blackjack. And, uh, you know, he, I know he, he runs like a blackjack-related forum. And uh, always got along with the guy. We also have a mutual dislike of the snake in the grass. But uh, Jay Stat uh, surprisingly uh, made a YouTube video of the old guy beating me like in a montage of hands. <laughs> like, like, and at, at first I wasn't even offended by it. At first I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of funny. Like the old guy beating me in a bunch of hands. Like I didn't care. I was actually happy someone made a montage of hands I played. I don't care if I'm winning or losing. You know, as long, like, awesome. as, as, long as I can like watch a YouTube and see like a quick rundown of all the hands I was in. I thought oh, that was pretty cool. Like I wasn't offended at all by that. I don't, I don't care if I'm winning or losing. Just you know, make the montages. I don't care. Uh, but then I read the description, and it was it was very unflattering to me. I won't bother to repeat what was there. Now, I, I will give credit that when I called out Jstat on this, after arguing with me a little bit back and forth on Twitter, he, he finally uh, apologized and uh, removed the stuff from the description and just uh, made the description more of a positive thing about Michael Moore. And that's great. I said, look, if you want to be happy for Michael Moore that he's 64 and he beat all the good limit players, great. Because he did. He's 64. He beat he beat eight good limit players at the table, and uh, you know he has the bracelet now. And we don't. So that's that's the bottom line. And uh, that was actually kind of after you went out. I was I said to myself like I hope this old guy takes that takes these guys out. You know, <laughs> just, just just you know because no one expected him to win. Everybody's yeah. <laughs> probably thinking this guy get cut up. You know. Um, and great, you know the guy the guy you know the guy fought for our country in the Vietnam War. He's uh, um, you know he. So he's he's 64 years old now. He got to he actually finished like 10th in the main event, like uh, back in like 95. 90, the year Dan Harrington won. Yeah, 95 when ben, Dan Harrington won. But uh, uh, he called himself a semi-professional player, and uh, you know whatever he was, uh, you know, good job that he did it. He's got a bracelet now. But uh, right. and I I don't I don't hold it against anyone who cheers for someone who's their age, especially if it's an age. Which is becoming less and less common among poker players, or at least uh, among right. players you see at the final table in the World Series. I mean, look at the main event. The year I made 88th place in the main event, if I made the final table, I would have been four years older than everyone at the table minimum. Right. So, I mean, the, the, in that way, I'm already getting old, and uh, and so I, I I can imagine that uh, when you see a game that you've liked for a long time suddenly get dominated by by kids or even people who are kids to you, like someone like me. Sure. That, that it can, you know, you, of course, you kind of like to see someone from your peer group succeed. Sure. So I, I don't hold that against them, and I I, yeah. I don't hold it against them for not rooting for me. But uh, it's but, just but, the way it goes, though, with stereotyping. I mean, you know, ten. I mean, ten years from now, if I sit down at the World Series and you know, I'm, I grow my hair out a little and I'm a little gray and they see this old guy here. They're gonna, I mean, it's just the way it is. They're going to think they can pick me apart. Hey, well, um, ten years from now, I'll be in the seniors event. Yeah, you'll be you'll be up there. In the <laughs> I, I'll be in it. I'm, I'm not, nine years from now, I'll be in the seniors event. I promise you, in 2022, I will be in the seniors event. I, I really will enter it. And uh, um, it'll feel strange. It'll be my very first seniors experience. I guarantee I'll have no other seniors experience in my life in any way. Aside from that seniors event, when I uh, sit down at that table, it'll feel strange to feel that I've hit the point in my life that I'm now a senior in someone's eyes. Right. But what is the senior cutoff? Is it fifty? It's, it's fifty. 
50 years old, huh? Yeah. yeah that, that event, too, that event is getting huge every yeah, well, year that's, more that's and because more. it's 50, because they, like everyone, that, that's why Harris did it. For, that's why they made it 50, so they'd get a huge field. They, they know what they're doing. They know how to extract money out of people. So, uh, what was it? What, was it higher before? I think it was 55 originally. I, I don't think it was always 50. I can't imagine it being 50. That's not, uh, yeah, what kind of, yeah, what kind of think about is 50? It, every year, there's a new batch of people turning 50, so... It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, and there's just a there's just a large group of the population who's over fifty. Sure. And then a lot, I think a lot of them play it think, with a whole stereotype of old guys being fish. They're like, oh, you know, hey, I'm fifty two years old. Hey, I'm not a fish. I'm just I'm just a you know middle aged guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go crush all these seniors here. Like that's a I'm gonna go crush the real seniors. But then they sit down. They see like you know seven of the nine players at the table are under sixty. Right. So I bet that's the way it is. I haven't looked at the age distribution, but I have to guess that you're going to get mostly guys in their 50s there so a- anyway uh well congratulations to michael moore I- i'm not bitter about this at all by the way like a- am i disappointed yes but i'm not bitter at anyone for winning the-, the the cards didn't fall for me right um nobody was a jerk to me at the final table except for david baker who wasn't playing and uh and you know i i didn't dislike anyone there i wasn't rooting against anyone there only person i was rooting for there was me and uh, and once I was gone, I really didn't care who won or lost, and uh, and I didn't feel it was my right to win or something. I knew I came in with a pretty much identical stack to Barda, similar stack to Michael Moore. I knew that there's so many good players there. I knew I had to catch cards to win, and I didn't catch cards. So that's the way it went. I, and I, I, you know, why should it be me who catches cards? It doesn't have to be me. It it, it just wasn't me that day. So yeah, so somebody's got to catch them, and it's not always. I mean, it's like playing one session of poker; you could win or lose at any time. You know, yeah. uh, and that's what it's like when, playing one cash game session. You right. Know? And when I came into day three, I, I thought that to myself: it's great that I'm, I'm the I'm the slight chip leader here, but I've got to have a day three like my day two was. If I don't, I'm not going to win. That's what I said. Right. That's what I said to myself, and I said, it's kind of depressing to think I've got to do this all over again to win, but I do, and I couldn't. Didn't fall for me. I, and I could tell from the start. Just some some days you, you just kind of know you don't. It's just not there for you. I just kind of had that feeling the whole day. It just wasn't. I wasn't running awful, but I just I was just very inconsistent. I'd win a decent hand, but then I'd lose one again. I'd win one, I'd lose one. I'm like, yeah, I, I, it just wasn't happening for me. Unlike the day before, where I was just hitting things all over the place. Right. So, oh well. Uh, on to the next one tomorrow. Uh, I do appreciate, by the way, that Jay Stad apologized and took the thing down. I don't want to seem bitter about that either. And oh, he uh, took the video down. No, no, he took the the, the description down. I said I said you can keep the video, okay. up. I don't I don't care about the video. I, I actually like right. when people make montages of me. That's oh fine. yeah, I want I want to see this video. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a montage of me lo- losing like three hands to him, but whatever. Like you know, it's, it's fine. He can keep that. I really I really don't mind. I'm not being sarcastic here. So all right, uh, m- moving on. Um, uh, and but people in the chat room right now criticizing Jay Stad for taking it down. He did the right thing by taking down the description that was that was you know, that was being a, kind of a jerk to me. So so he so he realized that he was not uh, he wasn't being very nice to me, and he took it down. You know, whatever, people people make mistakes with things they write all the time and they regret it, and then they take it down. Fine, you know, it's the right thing to do. I didn't I didn't even tell him to take it down, but uh, I I thought that was a, a classy move on his part. So okay, uh, moving on to the next topic here. And by the way, I don't think all old people are fish. I just think that, uh, um, in general, when you see an old player sit down, by average, he's going to be much worse than the typical 25-year-old who sits down with you. But sure. uh, just like there are I 25-year-olds mean, who are complete fish, there are old people who are good. Sure. 
it's just more often than not, you know, the top skilled players in the world, a lot of them are, are online players or came from the online world and have just gotten 10 lifetimes worth of experience playing online. And I don't know. I just think it, it that's just, a, it's a, of course it's a stereotype in some way, but I mean, it's just the experience factor. I mean, things have changed a lot in poker over the last 10 years. Even all the guys from the 2003, 2004, 2005 that you used to see on TV at all these final tables, and, you know, they were considered great players at the time. I mean, some of those guys are considered fish by the top professionals now, yeah. you know? And and uh, not only that, just to show I'm not discriminating against other ages, tomorrow when I sit down at the anti-only event, I will be very happy to see, like, a bunch of guys around my age who I don't know. I'm very happy to see that. I, what I, I don't want to see is like a bunch of twenty-three-year-olds there, right? So that's showing you I'm not just uh, not just going off on the old people and going off on the middle-aged people too. <laughs> I'll be happy to see plenty of white guys in their forties there, as long as it's not right. like like ones like Matt Glantz that uh, I know are good. So yeah. uh, speaking of Matt Glantz, the reason I brought his name up is uh, he wrote a little opinion piece on Card Player about uh, the World Series, and uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what he's trying to say in his and I'll read little uh, pieces of it though. Um, he's trying to say that he doesn't like the fact that there are $2,500 events and $5,000 events uh, in the limit games. Now, I've said for a long time, you know, he, I don't know if he ever heard me say this. He probably did. I wonder if he got this idea from me partially, because he listened to this show. I don't know if he still does, but he came up to me last year during uh, this same event, this 5K limit, where he made it very deep last year. I think he may have even final tabled it. Matt Glantz told me that he listens to this show on Poker Fraud Alert. I don't know if he still does, but he did then. Uh, I used to always talk about how the 2,500 events are much tougher than the 1,500 and 1K events at the World Series. And this is just something I came up with on my own from playing a lot of events over the years. I found that when I entered the 1K and the 1,500 events, you had a lot of fish. I found that the 2,000, you still had a good deal of fish, but not quite as many. But then the big drop-off was a 2,500 in every form of poker. Mm-hmm. Limit, no limit, whatever. Mixed it's games. A big, it's a big jump right there. I mean, There's you a big play, you know, the, to the average person, you could play two 1K events, or are you going to play one 2,500 event? Yeah, for some reason, 25 is the real psychological barrier, and right. Matt Glantz doesn't know why. I don't know why. No one knows why, but 2,500 is the total psychological barrier where people are willing to spend up to 2K and play as like a casual player who, you know, admittedly is no expert. But twenty five hundred, they don't want to do it. So twenty five hundred, you always seem to get the better players. Three thousand, you get the better players. Five thousand, you obviously get the better players, uh, and up from there. So um, the big difference happens at twenty five hundred. In fact, when they changed the mixed hold'em from fifteen hundred buy-in to twenty five hundred buy-in, I was very disappointed, saying, "Crap, there go most of our fish," and now the event is gone completely. But uh, so I've been saying this for years. In fact, that's that's one reason I was actually proud I won the $3,000 limit hold'em back in 05 was that uh, I actually won the one with much fewer fish. And uh, right. it was actually a harder one to win, and I was proud of that. But uh, So here's what Mac Lance writes, very similar to what I've been saying for all these years. The World Series of Poker needs to rid itself of the 2,500 and 5,000 events in the mixed games arena. And he's referring to also to the limit hold'em when he says that. Each discipline of the mixed game should have a 1500 event and also a 10K championship event. 
There is a huge psychological barrier when the entry fee jumps from 1500 to 2500 in any events. We lose many amateur players who are such who are such a large percentage of the field without that jump in price. Many casual poker players will take a shot for 1500 in a discipline they feel less than confident about, but will not take a shot for 2500. I totally agree. There is an invisible barrier here that is not easily definable, but it is there nonetheless. I've been saying this forever. So, so he, he, I, I, ha- I wasn't proposing the solution. He is, but, uh, but he's saying the same thing I've been saying forever, that uh, at 2,500, the average skill of the players in the field jumps tremendously. So oh, I'm sure it does. I mean, the, the difference in money, I think, just to the average everyday person. I mean, if, if you're on a... Let's say you're out, out there for the World Series, I mean, and you bring 4000 or 3000 or something with you. You're not going to jump in a 2500 event and, you know, you, you can get so much value playing at the Venetians or yeah, whatever, you know. I, I, there's uh, something about 2500. It's hard to picture, you know, when you're uh, when you play poker for a living like like you do or I do, um, it, it's hard to picture, you know, 1500, 2500, what's the huge difference? But but you know, to the casual player it is and it it definitely is there. So, he is saying the problem is right now that there's a lot of events that are 2,500 for kind of no reason, that uh, they just shouldn't be there. They should either be one or the other, either 1,500 or 10K. He's saying everybody who's going to enter a 5K event is going to enter a 10K event. And that if you're going to have an event be 2,500, you might as well lower it by 1,000 and get a lot more fish in the game, both for the right. purposes of making it easier and better value for the pro players and also... So more casual players just get the experience of playing, so they can enjoy playing, so they get a shot at playing without spending too much money. So he's saying it, it benefits both groups, the casual player who gets the, ch- the shot to play and, and the pro who gets to play against more dead money. So uh, he was suggesting that they just take all these different events and uh, make them either 1,500 or 10,000. So, for example, he's saying that right now Limit Hold'em, which has a 1,500... A twenty five hundred six max and a five thousand should become the fifteen hundred should stay. The twenty five hundred six max should become a fifteen hundred six max, and then make the five thousand into ten thousand. And then he he's giving similar scenarios for the rest of the events, like uh, the except a few things he wants to split and have two events where there's only one. So like right now there's only a single twenty five hundred dollar Raz event. He's saying there should be two Razes: a fifteen hundred Raz, a ten k Raz, uh, Omaha eight. He's right now. There's a fifteen hundred and a five thousand. He said make it fifteen hundred and ten k. He doesn't like the five k's at all. He's saying that uh, there's something special about the ten k. There isn't really something special about the five k. The five k is really not getting any bigger of a field than ten k. So uh, why not have it be ten k? I don't know if I agree with that part because since there's less money in poker these days, and that's why they put it back down. I I think there would be some people who wouldn't enter. If it was only uh, if it was a 10k event, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think there's some people who would hesitate to enter. I have to admit, even I would hesitate to enter unless I could sell off part of my action, like I did this year. I, I think to bring yeah. 10k for the 10k a just event, 10k just gives it more of a championship structure. It, I it mean, does. championship sound to it just it does. because you know that's the main event buy-in, that's the WPT buy-ins. It just Gives it more of a championship, a true championship feel. Well, and he was also arguing that uh, even if the fields do go down, that it's fine because uh, um, 
people will enjoy watching a small field of really good players play each other. Similar to what was being described in this limit hold'em at the final table, where they're saying, you know, there's so many good limit players here. There's, you know, there, there's uh, three limit bracelet winners in the at the final table. Uh, other players who are known to be really good limit cash players who've made limit final tables before is like, like you know, it was like a, a collection of a bunch of good limit players at the limit hold'em final table. They're saying that's what you want. That's what you want for a World Series event. That's what people want to see. At the final table is a collection of uh, really good players up against each other, and then see how it plays out. So he's saying it's not even that bad of a thing if it's a, a big, if it's a small field, if if it's a, a bunch of really good players, at least for the you know, from the standpoint of uh, the prestige of the event and the uh, people watching it. So, uh, so he's basically saying just completely do away with anything higher than fifteen hundred, but lower than ten k. That everything should either be fifteen hundred or ten k, or one k or higher than ten k, but nothing in between. And uh, that's that's Matt Glantz's suggestion. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I wouldn't be. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they try it out. Um, I mean, I think it would work, and I think it would make some of these fields better. Um, you would make maybe even boost through these limit fields that have been dwindling down um, over the years as well. So, um, I would like. To but then again, like- if you shoot that limit up to the limit one up to ten k, it might get less runners too. But I mean, it's worth a try just to see how it works. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I definitely would like to see the twenty five hundred six max go down to fifteen hundred six max. Because boy, you get a, lot, a tough field in that one. Yeah, that is a tough field. I mean, you, uh, I had a very good table last year, but I, you had a table that was like murderer's row. I think. Yeah, last it was. Year. I had a terrible table last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could get like the absolute worst table drawing that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm know, hoping that doesn't happen to me on on uh, on Wednesday when I play it. Uh, right. Unless I miss it because I, I make it super deep in the ante only, but uh, um, but yeah, yeah, this I, I would love to see the twenty five hundreds done away with. I think the twenty five hundreds are annoying because uh, you know they don't have the prestige of the higher buy ins. You get a lot more good players. It, it's just a pointless extra thousand dollars you have to spend to get in it, and then you just are putting yourself with a bunch of uh, other pro players. So I, I, I definitely agree with that part. And I've been saying for years that the twenty five hundred thing sucks, and uh, the limit hold'em. He didn't mention this because uh, I guess limit hold'em by itself is not that important to him. But uh, I don't know why they dumped the limit hold'em shootout this year. Everyone right. likes it, so why are they getting rid of it? Like, yeah. and it got a fairly good response. It gets it gets like over five hundred people each time. It's not like it's a failure. So right. why get rid of it? I mean, it's a. Um, it, it does just going. Just going all no. I mean, every day it's one thousand or fifteen hundred no limit, and that's yeah. just. Uh, yeah, there's too many of them. Yeah, but uh, that turbo structure they did for the no limit, I, people like that. So I wouldn't be surprised next year if you see a lot more variants of that, even like faster structures than the turbo they had this year. Um, yeah, and the- I, I just think it would make things more interesting to add different events in different ways that they run. Like one thing I mentioned either last week or the week before was a heads up limit event. Now limits obviously gone down in popularity, but I'm just surprised like. From like 2005 to 2010, when limit was still pretty big, and heads up limit hold'em was a huge game online. I'm really surprised that they never had that event like at least once. You know, yeah, uh, just yeah, I, su- surprising. I don't. That's strange. Yeah, so they they really should bring back at least the limit shootout, and they should also bring back the mixed hold'em, which people liked, and that again was a fairly successful event. See, I don't know why they are. Uh, I don't know why they got rid of two events that were successful, like the limit shootout, especially. That that event they get five hundred something players usually, like five hundred forty players, whatever, and it's a good event for them to run from a financial standpoint because it doesn't take long. 
Look how long right. this this 5K limit. Well, they made a lot off the 5K limit per player because of uh, you know they, they take a six percent of the buy-in. But but uh, you know here they're taking ten percent of the 1500 shootout, and it takes it's a lot quicker than other 1500 dollars events to run through because uh, you know people just have to win one table and it's over. And uh, so every day it's just uh, a matter of hours and it's done. And it's three fairly quick days. And then the whole thing's finished, and uh, they make their money, and you have a bracelet winner, and everybody likes the event. Like, why get rid of it? You have, I, I don't know why they got that one. I don't know why they killed the, the mixed hold'em. It's, it's. I hope they bring that stuff back next year. And uh, what do you think about this? What about like, all right, let's say they have three stud events. Uh, what do you think about like spacing them out like three days apart? That way, there, you know, if you're just a stud specialist and you want to go and play the stud events, you know, you don't have to go out there for like forty-five days, like. Maybe have the limit events all spaced out over like a twelve day or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever, so you could play all the events. Yeah. Do you think that that would be a good idea or a bad idea? You know, like just have them all gapped in. So I mean, if you're a specialist, you can go out there and you could play, you know, nine days straight and play three tournaments or whatever. Yeah, you know, you, that's a good. That's a great them. point that they should put these together instead of spreading them out. And uh, I found that to be a pain in the ass too. That I, I always want to play all the limit events for obvious reasons, and um, I, I I hate when I when they're spaced out and I and I'd like to take a break in the World Series and I can't because they're all spaced uh, you know six days from each other, right? And uh, yeah, I wish it was one after the other, uh, or at least one after the other to where maybe after the final table of one is over, the next one starts immediately, something like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you have the final table. Like, you had the final table the other night. Then the next day you start the 2,500. Yeah. You run three days, and then when that final table's over, maybe you go right to the 10K championship, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, something like, you know, something like that. Just to, you know, it would accommodate a lot of specialists that don't, or just limit players that don't want to go out there and, you know, play the no limits, which run every single day. Yeah. So. And, okay, so let me give you guys the phone number. I think I forgot to do the beginning of the show. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID when you call in or else you will not get through. Also, you can call the Mount Charleston phone number. There is a mountain that's above Las Vegas where it's usually about 70 degrees during the day, despite being only about 45 minutes from Vegas, called Mount Charleston. That's where the phone is, 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston number, always forwards to wherever I am at the moment. And uh, right now at this moment, I'm in Las Vegas waiting for tomorrow's uh, 12 o'clock anti-only event. And... Uh, uh, Bad guy twenty three, who's been calling into pretty much every show recently at the end, he said tonight he's gonna get drunk with his girlfriend Josie, who called a few weeks ago, and uh, that they're both gonna call in at some point during the show. So I look forward to that. Apparently they were watching me two nights ago at the final table. So um, we'll be. Uh, Interested to hear this call from them, especially if they're drunk. It's always entertaining. Uh, in the meantime, want to uh, talk about the next thing on our s- schedule about another bracelet winner. His name's Eric Lindgren, and he won a bracelet and six hundred thousand dollars. Of course, uh, six hundred thousand dollars when you have to pay a lot to one of your backers who put you in it in the first place, is not all that much when you owe... 
One million dollars. Several times over. Which is, I'm sure, what he owes. Maybe even more than that. I'm not even counting the money he stole from Full Tilt when they accidentally double loaned him money. I mean, I would take a blind guess and say four or five million, but <laughs> I mean, that could be way off and so could be way on, but whatever. I, what I heard, I, I asked, did uh, did anybody get paid when Lindgren finished second to Chino Ream in that one uh, Bellagio event recently? He still got a lot of money for that. Despite finishing second, I think he got like 700k. And I was told that Eric had to give a lot to his backer, and then he paid quote the minimum to a lot of people. I don't know what the minimum is, but I was told he paid the minimum. Now I guess that's good in a way that he's paying anything. But I really hope that Eric is not taking a lot for himself, that he's not uh, spending money wildly not gambling on sports or other stupid things. I really hope that when he scores in these events that he gives the part to the backer that he agrees, which he has to do. You know, if a backer puts you in and says, I get such and such percent, you can't screw him after that. You have to, no matter what you owe other people, you have to give the backer first. So I understand that. So he pays the backer whatever was agreed upon. But then the bulk of the money, the remainder of the money, almost all of it should go toward paying the people he owes, even if he has to split it into little parts to pay everyone. But he really should be paying everybody back. And that's where almost all that money should be going. And the very minimum should be kept just to pay for his basic living expenses and you know, his wife and his kid. That, and that should be He shouldn't be living an expensive lifestyle when he owes all this money if he's really serious about paying people back. So I hope the reason he was paying the minimum when he won last time was because there were so many people he owed that he could only pay each person the minimum. Right. But... I have a feeling people aren't getting as much as they should be getting. And I, I wonder about Chino Ream, too, about what he's paying. I guess uh, I've actually kept up a little bit on both of these. Um, someone did say in that big thread on 2 Plus 2 that they went up to him in, like, the uh, the cafeteria there at the World Series. And, you know, he asked them for the money, and he didn't even remember what the kid owed him. And then the kid explained it, and... I guess he paid him in full right on the spot. Huh. Um, but then there was another story with um, a kid that approached Lingren in the hallway after his win or something, and uh, he said, you know, do you do you have the money you owe me? And then uh, I guess Lingren kind of laughed at him and said, um, that money was won on the golf course. It's, it's like fake money. It's not real money, oh, something boy. like that. And he didn't pay the kid anything. And uh, I guess the kid got really mad. And uh, he said he wanted to rip his head off or something. And um, the account that posted this was from like 2006 on two plus two. So more than likely, it's it was something real. And somebody from that joined, you know, earlier in the mid 2000s went on there and backed it up. So um, you know, that's still real money if you lose yeah. money on the golf course. It's it, it's still money. So. What concerned me was this bankruptcy he filed, where you can uh, discharge these debts. I always thought these bankruptcies were were morally wrong. I don't think you should ever be able to discharge any debts. I think if you owe money, um, at worst there should be some kind of payment plan that's made to where you pay the debt under you know certain uh, over a certain time frame based upon whatever you're making. But uh, it never should just be discharged like it didn't exist and screw the people you owed money to. That should, it, I don't care how many years. I don't care if it's been fifty years. If you owe the money, you owe the money. I don't see why waiting seven years, um, yeah, that, that it's gone. 
and or not seven years. They, you you have bankruptcy. You can do a bankruptcy every seven years and, and just keep screwing people over and over. So, I, I you know, the, the bankruptcy laws were, were are there to keep people from getting past the point of financial no return to where they feel they run themselves into such tremendous debt that there's no point to make money anymore if it can just all be confiscated from them through uh, through lawsuits and through collection. But um, the bottom line is you got to pay what you owe. There should never be where you can just discharge all, all the money you 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 owe other people. Otherwise, you screw them. Otherwise, uh, they're out the money, and they, they're suffering consequences of the money you owe them. And even if they have deep pockets and can afford it, it's just not right. It's it's still like stealing. So I, I don't believe in, the, in those sorts of bankruptcies at all. And uh, when he filed bankruptcy, he's like, oh, boy, this is this is a way for Eric Lindgren to legally get out of paying money he owes. So I hope that's uh, – I hope it was more of a formality. I hope if he's doing it, it's more to get out of owing money to companies or whatever and not so much uh, to individuals in the poker world. That's two different things. It's two different things when uh, um, you owe money to a, a big company and, and you're broke and, and you try to get out of paying them. It's a lot different between that and when you have a personal agreement with someone you know in your own personal life who trusts you with money or trusts you with a bet, and then you screw them. That's much worse. That's breaking like a personal bond. That's breaking a personal agreement. That's different than uh, than uh, not paying a business you owe money to, which also isn't right, but nowhere near as bad. So, uh, anyway, I, I just hope that bankruptcy is not for this purpose. But I, I guess we'll hear. He just won this uh, this event recently, so we'll, we will hear. But uh, you know, I, anyone who thinks that there's there's karma, I, I have to wonder how they're feeling right now with Eric Lindgren finishing second and then first, especially if the money's not going <laughs> to the people he owes to. So uh, and Chino Ream winning. So uh, anyway, yeah. let's. Uh, I just wanted to mention that, and I guess we'll have to follow as that happens. Um, What's what's uh? Oh, Crypt is saying I gave Druff my Bank of America info. I think he's saying that I I didn't send him any uh, any money that I owed him. Crypt to send me the message again. I must have. Uh, sometimes people send me info like if they you know when they win the the free rolls on uh, uh, and I, they they give me their PayPal. I send it right away. Many people can verify that. Where I can sometimes take a long time is if they give me something that requires more effort, like a check or a, or a bank transfer. And I know I offer that to pay people from a free roll, but uh, it's harder for me to do, especially if I receive the stuff when I'm out somewhere and I see it on my phone. I go, oh, I'll get to this later, and then I forget. That's what happens. I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm not going to roll anyone on the site. If I still owe you money, uh, PM me again or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and explain it, and I'll go look it up, and if I didn't pay you, I'll pay you. And... Uh, I apologize for anyone I said I would pay and didn't, but uh, and we're talking about small money here, of course. Not uh, we're not not talking about uh, hundreds or thousands of dollars. We're talking about less than a hundred dollars. But uh, I, I want to pay everybody that is supposed to get money. So, uh, moving on here, I guess the last World Series story: someone got killed, but not a player, and it wasn't a murder either. An 86-year-old dealer at the World Series who is the oldest dealer at the World Series of Poker. I think I've had him before. 
His name is Richard, Richard Turnbull. He was hit by a car while crossing Rainbow Boulevard, which is a street in Las Vegas. Not by the Strip, but uh, a few miles away from the Strip. Said in uh, on Fox5Vegas.com, the Clark County Coroner's Office identified a 30, an 86-year-old Reno man who died after being struck by a vehicle while crossing Rainbow Boulevard. The coroner's office said the, that Tr- Richard Charles Turnbull was the person who died on Thursday. Uh, and uh, they uh, so anyway, he was a World Series of Poker dealer, and uh, it doesn't say exactly how this happened. I always think it's weird when a pedestrian gets hit. Like, uh, like is it the pedestrian's fault that the pedestrian just like just walk out there and not realize? That could any an eighty-six year old I could believe like if he's kind of out of it, right. maybe wander into the street and not look and get hit. Where it's not even the driver's fault, but then if the guy's got enough faculties to still be a World Series of Poker dealer, I mean, you think he'd be smart enough to cross the street, right? So I don't know. Well, I, people drive people drunk a lot in Vegas too, so I mean, yeah, I, I think it might have been more of that. But it didn't say anyone was arrested. It's so weird. Uh, it's, um, I, I don't know what happened here. I don't know if the, what this was about. Uh, it, it is true he probably. Maybe you know, went across the street and then couldn't jump out of the way very fast because he's old. Right, but, uh, that's possible too. Maybe he th- maybe he was walking and you know figured oh they'll slow down and just couldn't get out of the way and then boom yeah you know that's, you just you never know that's kind of a crappy way to die though you know when you're eighty you made it all the way to eighty six you're right. obviously avoiding you know a lot of bad things that can happen to you over all these years including things your own body can do to you like a heart attack. Um, you go eighty six years. And then just get hit by a car crossing the street. That's so weird. Like, uh, I, wonder, I wonder what the story was. I'm just curious. But it's too bad. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, with all these dealers we have at the World Series, you know, I, I guess it's likely that, that one of them is going to have some tragedy just from the sheer number of people. Sure. So I, I guess it's kind of like that with the poker players, too. That's why uh, it'll bridge it on to our next topic about uh, last week, I should have said this earlier in the show I, I'm very embarrassed that last week I pronounced someone dead that is still alive and uh, this is one case I was happy to be wrong, uh, Kevin Boudreaux also known as FWAP had a, an aneurysm and is in critical condition and I got the message from someone a reliable source last week that uh, Kevin had passed away and I announced that and said how t- it's really too bad and sorry to hear that uh, he's passed away and Everything else. Anyone listening to this show who didn't really follow it after that probably thinks that Kevin is no longer with us. Well, uh, no, Kevin's alive and well. I shouldn't say well. He's alive. Kevin is is not dead. Um, I I apologize to him for saying this, and I hope one day he is uh, healthy enough to listen to this and uh, and can hear this apology. In fact, he was uh, he was someone who was cheated on AP like I was, and uh, and has been was uh, tweeting at Ben Mesrick for his crappy book about the AP guy. So this is someone who definitely thinks the same way as me about that whole thing. And uh, anyone who was a fellow AP victim, I, I feel some sort of solidarity with. So, uh, but anyway, no, he's he's not dead. That was bad information. Now, I'll tell you how the bad information came out. Uh, Kevin is good friends with Shane Schlager. And Shane tweeted something about uh, how he's going back to L.A. for uh, Kevin's funeral. But it turned out it was a different Kevin. 
And I didn't see all this, but that's how the person got confused, is knowing that it was Shane's good friend, that they uh, that they f- figured it had to be the same Kevin. And it wasn't. It was a different Kevin. So, anyway, um, here is the latest update. This is from 2 Plus 2 regarding Kevin's condition. Um, this was from today at 2.30 p.m. Someone wrote, I saw him last night. He looked pretty relaxed compared to when I first visited him. And when I talked to him, he started blinking his closed eyes and moving his body some. The nurse said that Kevin was responding. It didn't have anything to do with his current food slash medicine. Also, yesterday, someone saw his unfocused eyes open for a second. So, it's not like Kevin's having conversations with people at this point, but he's showing a little bit of function here, and they even said he opened his eyes for a second, but but his eyes just, like, kind of were out there. So I, I hope that uh, I hope that's a sign he's getting better. Uh, if he was completely brain dead, he probably couldn't do as much as he's doing already. So um, that's how some of these aneurysm victims go: is that they're so brain dead that they're just taken off life support because they're just considered that they're they're never going to have any kind of function, and their family just takes them off life support. Uh, the person I know who who passed away from from an aneurysm at age 35 was in exactly that spot. They were taken off life support because they just uh, they had no brain function after the aneurysm. And uh looks like uh, Kevin is beyond that, you know, beyond meaning better. And uh, hopefully this is, uh, he continues to improve, and, and hopefully uh, he'll return to the poker world at some point. And uh, hopefully not at one of my No Limit tables at the World Series next year. So I uh, just wanted to give an update on that, and apologies for pronouncing him dead when he's uh, very much alive. Uh I'm going to give a few tips involving the Rio, and then I'll open up the phones to anybody who wants to call in, especially bad guy. But uh, when I say tips involving the Rio, um, a lot of people choose to stay at the Rio. Or if you don't stay at the Rio, you have to drive here or take a bus here or whatever, take a cab here if uh, you want to play the World Series. So there's still a healthy amount of the World Series left to play. And uh, I know some people just got in recently from this forum. So this is really the heart of the World Series right now. And uh, if if you're staying at the Rio or about to stay at the Rio or staying somewhere else and visiting the Rio, let me give you a few tips for being at the Rio for the World Series. Uh, First of all, don't go to the Poker Kitchen. Uh, The Poker Kitchen is an overpriced uh, thing that's across from the the tournament area. Um, I I would suggest going to the All-American Bar and Grill and doing takeout. Or, or sit down in there. It's not the best there, but it's better than Poker Kitchen. It's a lower price, and if you're a Nevada local, you get 25% off if you show your ID, which is huge. So, and it, oh, really? Is that at the Poker Kitchen you do? No, at the at the uh-huh. uh, at the All American. Not the, no, I'm not talking about All American Dave's, which I'll get to in a second, but uh, the All American Bar and Grill, which is uh, you know further into the Rio, into the casino. Oh, is that the one that's like up in front of the main entrance, kind of? Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that's where I suggest to go to eat. Don't, don't go to the crappy poker kitchen. It's, it's better value there, especially if you're a local and you show 25 Nevada ID get 25% off. Also, it doesn't have to be um, everybody in the party being from Nevada. So I could take 10 people there and show my ID and get 25% off. It just has to be one person at the table with a Nevada ID. Um, I also suggest that you pay with your total rewards card at any of these things, even the poker kitchen, rather than pay cash. 
provided you have the total rewards points for it, which you get for every time you enter the World Series. They give you a certain number of points that you can buy food with. But uh, if you have total rewards points, which are worth one penny each, pay with that, because not only is it not real money, but you also don't pay tax. And tax is like 8.1% in Las Vegas. So, Actually, i got a question on that. So if you buy into a van, I know they swipe your rewards card. They actually put stuff on your card for that? Yes. And it depends okay, I never upon. Even knew that. It depends upon. This has replaced the ten dollars food vouchers. And oh, okay. It, now it kind of sucks for the people who buy the, in for the fifteen hundred events, because they only get like three bucks, I think, now instead of ten. Right. But it helps the people who buy the ten k events. I think you get thirty. It depends on. Now on does that. um do they expire? Sort of. They expire. They're better than they used to be. It used to be that you could only use those $10 vouchers during the World Series, and you could only use $10 at a time. You couldn't say, hey, I want to spend $2 out of this 10 You had to spend all 10 at once, or they just confiscate it. Um, here you can spend whatever you want, from a penny all the way up to what you have. And they only expire if you don't earn any reward credits for six months. Okay. And one way you can avoid that happening is get a total rewards credit card. And then just uh, you know charge something on it every six months, and that gives you a few reward points. Right. So, so if you're from out of town, it's best to use it before you leave town. Then yeah, unless you're gonna be back in six months. Right. So uh, so anyway, that's uh, as far as the food. I'd recommend that for like a quick meal. Uh, other restaurants at the Rio, um, there's a, a thing called uh, Matarano's. It's an Italian place, kind of up in the corner, right by that Chippendales thing. Uh, it's actually pretty good, and uh, it, it is overpriced, but it's, it's it's pretty good. The meatball is actually really good there. And I, I'm not even a big meatball fan, but I thought the meatball was really good, and uh, uh, I, I like the place, and that's that's a decent place to eat in the Rio. Uh, the Voodoo Steakhouse, which is on the top, you know, the top of the Rio, it's okay as far as steakhouses go. Nothing special, but it's 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 all right for a you know steakhouse type meal. Um, if you're in, let's say you have like. 45 minute dinner break or whatever. Can you get up there and get in and out? No, you probably won't. Especially you have some. It's, it's a good walk over there too. Okay. You know, for a 90 minute data break, you can make it if you go over there immediately and then also tell them there that you're in a rush and to speed things up. Then yeah, you can make or if you sit at the bar or something. Yeah. For a 60 minute dinner break, I wouldn't advise any of these sit down restaurants except for the All American Bar and Grill, and even there, tell them to speed it up. Uh, also, All American Bar and Grill, if you take takeout. They will charge you an obnoxious $2 takeout fee. Yet, if you were to sit there at the table and take one bite and say, you know what, I'd like to take this out, they'll give you the same containers for free. But I'm not suggesting doing that. The way around this is just go to the bar where you do the takeout area, say, I would like to do a takeout, but please don't charge me the takeout charge, and say, I do this all the time, they don't ever charge me, even if you've never done it before, because they always let people offer this if they ask for it. Every once in a while, you'll get like a stickler for rules who won't let you, but usually they will if you ask for it. So ask them not to charge you the $2 takeout charge. It's just stupid. Just a yeah, that's like thing. the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So, so um, as far as where you should stay if you're in the Rio, stay in the Ipanema Tower. There's two advantages to the Ipanema Tower. It's closer is the main advantage. So you can walk there easily during dinner breaks, and even on the 20-minute breaks, you can get there if the bathroom's really crowded. And just go in your own room, and and also it's more convenient. You know, it's just it's just right there by the World Series. It's not right there, but it's a lot closer than the other tower, the Masquerade Tower. Uh, the Masquerade Tower is a little bit 
more newly renovated, but the truth is there isn't that much difference between the two of them. I've stayed in both. I can tell you the Ipanema is not that much inferior to the Masquerade. They kind of both have the same feel to them. Yeah, neither is a luxury room, and they're about the same size. So might as well go with the Ipanema. Who cares if the furniture is like a little bit cheaper looking? It's, it's all pretty similar. And uh, also the Ipanema Tower is a lot quieter. The Masquerade Tower has a problem. At, at the high floors get uh, affected by the Voodoo Lounge Club late at night. So you, good luck going to sleep for your uh, noon events. And the lower floors get affected by the pool during the day, where they have a DJ and play loud music. So good luck sleeping during the day if you just stayed up really late. So stay in the Ipanema Tower. And uh, uh, be aware if you stay in the Rio or any Caesars property that there is a resort fee and that it only gives you one device for Internet. So don't connect your phone to the Internet if you also have a laptop with you. Don't connect your iPad if you also want to connect your phone. You know, like uh, you can only do one or it's going to charge you like 15 bucks for the next one. So I can, I'll connect the iPhone and then I'll run the laptop off the iPhone. Yeah. Hey, just, and something else you can uh, something else I want to mention if you do, you're not staying at the Rio or if you want to go from the Rio to the Strip, you don't have to get on the Strip. There's a lot of different ways to get to Strip properties without ever driving on Las Vegas Boulevard, which is usually jammed. For example, if you're staying at Caesars, it's a very quick way to get to the Rio. Uh, there is a uh, a street called uh, Frank Sinatra, and uh, uh, if you just look on the map, you'll see if you go out the back of Caesars, when I say the back, go out the self-parking lot and turn left. And and then if you make a right, you'll be on Frank Sinatra. And then if you make the, uh, uh, the first left you can, uh, then you'll be heading back under the freeway. And then you can make a right onto Twain, and you'll be right back at the, uh, at the Rio. Very, very quick. You can do this within minutes. Where going around the full way can take a while. So that would that'd be the that's the locals' way of getting to the Rio from Caesars, and this works also if you can get to Caesars, or get onto Frank Sinatra from anywhere on the Strip, such as the Monte Carlo. You can get there from the Monte Carlo. So uh, once you get to Frank Sinatra, you can get to the Rio without ever getting, going on the Strip, and that's the way the taxi drivers use. That's the way people use for deliveries. That's the way people use. Uh, that's the way locals go between properties. So that's what I would suggest. And you'll see all the cars on the road are like Nevada over there. You'll hardly see any California or other state cars there because nobody knows there. But, you know, you don't even have to worry about what I just told you. Just break out a map and look at it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, I actually got um, a couple other places to eat at the Rio. Um, I've never eaten Indian food or I had never um, last year. And it was on a 45-minute dinner break in we went there and told them, you know, we had to get back quick, and um, you know, we were able to get seated, eat. The food was pretty good; wasn't overpriced. And um, so, the Indian place, whatever the name of that is, there that was okay. And then the other place where me and you have eaten before, Druff, what is it, the Apollo Cafe or whatever it is? Oh no, that, no, that's, well, well, that's changed, unfortunately. That's uh, oh. I didn't mention that because it still exists, but it's only a breakfast place now. Oh wow! So it's okay they for serve breakfast. Breakfast all day, though? No, only till like two. And then it just shuts down. And then for it just the day? shuts down. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't that they weird? want to rob the poker players with the poker kitchen. Yeah, that's probably why. But no, that's it's like that the whole year though. So. Oh wow. Yeah, so it shuts down at two, and, uh, um, but it's okay for breakfast. I've gone there for breakfast a few times. I'm just usually not uh, not up that early unless I'm playing the World Series. So, uh, uh, yeah, I've never been to the Indian place, but I actually just walked by it today, and. Uh, 
as I, as I've said, as far as uh, the, the registering for events, if it's going to be a big event, big field event, do it the night before. Do not show up there the day of the event and do it, or it's going to be jammed a, a jammed up line. And and also something else you may not know. If you cash, and there's a big line to get your payouts, you don't have to do it right then. You can come back later. You're not forced to you're not forced to process your cash right then. You can. Uh, they'll send you to the first thing you have to go to before you go into the, like that's in the tournament room where they give you a little thing that the little thing that, that you hold that says uh, you know whatever event number whatever place, and you get to keep that as a souvenir too. But uh, that's all you need. You don't need to uh, go into the payout room until you feel like it. So if there's a big line, you don't have to go in. And uh, if if you win satellite lammers. Do not sell them for a loss, and don't feel like you're forced to play events. Just go to the cage where people are buying in for the uh, the regular World Series events and ask people to do you a favor to buy in for these lammers at full value, and they will. You'll always find people right. who will because they, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a like one player doing a favor for another sort of thing because it doesn't cost them anything, and and the, you know they understand your situation that you just want the cash, and for them they're putting the money in either way. And in fact, if anybody has lammers and wants to do this with me, I will be happy to do this with you. I will be happy to uh, buy in for your lammers and give you my cash. Only thing I ask is if I don't know you very well, that you go up there and do it with me just in case the lammers are counterfeit. So, uh, And that's what I ask when a stranger asks me to do it. I say, I'll do it for you, but you have to be up there with me so we make sure everything's okay. And if it is, then uh, then I'll give you the cash once I've bought in. And I do. And I don't charge anyone anything. So don't feel pressured to use those lammers. You can always sell them. So uh, I'm trying to think of other tips I can what give. What about parking? Do you have any special tips for parking? Or yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I wouldn't val- bother with the valet unless it's a very light day because you'll be waiting f- forever to get your car. Um. There's three parking areas you can use, aside from valet. There is the parking that's kind of by the front of the Rio. It's, it's off of uh, Valley View, and uh, and that one feeds right. You know, when you get out of the lot, you end up uh, you end up like right by the buffet actually. Once you walk into the Rio, there's that lot. Then there's the lot that's uh, by the Masquerade Tower. That's the one that's on a, that you like walk on a bridge and come out by like where the Burger King is. And then the third lot is an outdoor lot, a very large lot, which is by the Convention Area, which is where the World Series is. Now, for the World Series, the most convenient place to park, of course, is the Convention Area, which is uh, you know, right by the World Series. And uh, it is outside. Your car is going to bake in the sun, and it's going to be unbelievably hot in your car when you get in, especially if you have a darker car. But even if you have a light car, it's going to be hot. So if you don't mind getting in your car and it being freaking roasting, then you can park there. That's the most convenient place. Uh, If not, the second best lot to park in is the one that's off Valley View. And that one you have to walk in, and then uh, you'll, you'll be by the... All American Bar and Grill and the buffet, and then you got to kind of work your way, work your way around. It'll probably be a good ten minute walk from your car to get to the World Series, and maybe even twelve minutes. But uh, and always remember, if you do park in the convention center lot, I mean, it might even be wise to take a picture of where you parked because it's humongous. And if you come out there when it's dark, 
and you're kind of sure but not sure where you've parked, you might be walking around for a little while because it's a pretty big lot and everything looks the same. That's a great so. tip. And that's happened to me yeah. before. In fact, the, the worst this ever happened to me wasn't at the World Series. In 1989, I went to Six Flags Magic Mountain for my girlfriend's 17th birthday. I was 17 myself. And uh, she broke up with me while I was there. And so I was already like so pissed off. And I'm trying to find my car. And I can't find my car. I totally, like, like in the emotion of getting broken up with it for the first time in my life. It was the... That was the first, like, real girlfriend I had. I had dated some other girls for a short time before that, but never had, like, an actual girlfriend before her. And then she broke up with me at Magic Mountain. So, like, after all the emotion with that, then, like, I forgot where I parked completely. And I I had this giant parking lot in Six Flags Magic Mountain. I'm walking and walking and walking. I thought I'd never find it. I I thought 24 years later I'd still be looking for that car. Yeah, you're so. probably thinking it got stolen or whatever. Um, I mean, something similar happened to me. I was at a concert, and there was about 150,000 people there. It was dark out, and me and my buddy were a little wasted, and we were taking a walk to to go to the bathroom or something, and we just pointed at some uh, big pole, and we're like, okay, we're straight ahead from that pole. But little did we know, like, no matter what angle you were at when you came back, I mean, you could have been anywhere, and the pole would have been straight in front of you, you know? Just like, oh yeah, the pole's right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, we it took us a long time to get back to our spot. So, so, so that I mean, yeah, right. It took me twenty five minutes to find the car. Literally twenty five right. minutes of walking around to find my car. That was that was my record. I still have not broken. I've I've lost my car a few other times, but never twenty five minutes worth. And uh, that that was not a good day for me. And uh, uh, something. This is a little thing, but uh, it'll help people who stay at the Rio, especially in the Ipanema Tower. The elevators are just so weird that uh, there's two bays of elevators pretty much right next to each other, like right across from each other, but they're two totally independent bays of elevators. If you just go to one, if you just pick one at random and go, you can be standing there forever. And the most tilting thing is when you, you go to one of the bays of the elevators, you call for it, you stand and stand and stand and stand, you stand for like three minutes, like no elevator comes, and then some other guy walks to the other one and calls it, and it's right there, and he gets in and goes up before you can even get over there. Like that's the most tilting thing ever. So this is actually what I do now. I go to both bays of elevators. I call both of them, and then I stand between them, and I watch which one comes first. And then I go to that one, and that actually makes the elevator come pretty fast if you call both of them. It's, it sounds weird, but it actually works. That's what I always do anyways. I hit, I'll hit every one on the floor until one comes. You know, especially when you don't want to wait. Yeah, otherwise you, you can be waiting a really long time. But what's even worse than waiting a long time is when you're waiting a long time and then someone else goes to the other one and, like, in two right. seconds gets an elevator and then goes up and you're still stuck right. downstairs. You're like, what the hell? Like, what did I just wait for? So, anyway, that's uh, – I'm trying to think of any more tips I can give as far as the uh, the Rio itself. Um, it's not very well maintained. There are going to be things broken in the room. There's going to be things that don't work well, but, uh, you know, just call up and have maintenance fix them. And if it's something really bad, you can usually get some kind of food credit, $50, $100, if you make a big deal out of it. Depends how, you know, if it's something stupid, they're not going to give you, like if a light, if a, low, if a light bulb's out or something, or a lamp's not working, they're not going to give you a credit. But, you know, something pretty bad that uh, they take a long time to fix, 
uh, they usually will, get, will give you a credit. Or if there's a bunch of things screwed up at once. Like one time I got a room at the Rio, I had like four things broken. Like the door didn't work. Like the door would not lock. You know, like the privacy lock would not work. Um, oh, wow. The safe did not work. Uh, the the drains on both sink would not drain. <laughs> Do you like, find that safes in casino or casinos are trustworthy? Um, you know who scared me about safes in casinos was genocide because she had a public report on Twitter a few years ago that they broke into her safe at the Rio and stole her money. And um, I wasn't sure what to think of that story, but I hadn't known genocide to be a liar before. And uh, like I, I just didn't think she'd just, like make up a story like this, so I wasn't sure what to believe. But anyway, I, I just mentioned this to genocide recently, and she told me, that it turned out it was not the Rio. That it turned out it was someone she knew personally that she had no idea at the time was stealing from her. And uh, that apparently it's not even someone in poker, so don't try to guess the names. It wasn't Dustin or anything. <laughs> so uh, that's why she thought it was the Rio, and it turned out that it was someone else that uh, she knew personally. So the poor yeah, Rio got the blame. A way to re- isn't there a way to reprogram the safe or something? Or... Like, I hope not. I, I mean, obviously they can get it. Security can get into it if necessary. But uh, right, th- there's a protocol where they have to, you know, have another person from security verifying and all that. But the question is, like, if if two people in security were in cahoots and knew someone had a lot of money in the safe, could they just like go in the room and nobody know about it and steal money? They probably could. So I wouldn't store large sums of money in there. But at the same time, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be terrified of it. But uh, right. So the person that was with her, did they know the code? Is that how they got in? I, I don't know. I didn't get the details. She just said that, okay. that the, the Rio wasn't at fault here, and it was someone, but it wasn't someone in poker. It was someone she knew okay. personally. And, uh, oh, you know, this is weird about genocide. I should ask her about this. So genocide and I have always had kind of a weird relationship. Like, we've never been friends, but we, you know, we, we, we haven't really been enemies, but then we've also had some public disagreement, shall I say. Like, but it's, it's always kind of just been... It's always been kind of hard to define what genocide even really thinks of me. Sometimes I think genocide likes me. Sometimes I think she dislikes me. And when I say likes me, I don't mean like like you know likes me like attracted to me or anything. I just mean like you know, likes me as a person. So anyway, um, in recent I don't know the last year or so or maybe the last two years, uh, genocide and I have gotten along. Uh, we we we're not friends. We don't really talk very much. But uh, I I thought it was nice that. I think when we got down to the final 12 of this event, I got a tweet from her saying, good luck, Druff. I thought, that's nice. So, I don't know why, but um, I think I think I was going to, just as a joke, like post it on PFA and show the genocide wish me luck, because people wouldn't expect that. Right. So I go to her Twitter to, to go make a copy of this. And it's gone. <laughs> then I thought maybe I imagined it. Or maybe it was a fake genocide who, who wished me luck. So then I went back to look carefully. No, I really got a tweet from the real genocide saying, good luck, Druff. But she clearly deleted the tweet. So what, what would be the reason for that? Like, did someone who didn't like me give her a hard time about it? Or did someone who was in the field that was supposed to be her friend give her a hard time? Like, it's really strange. Like, why would she publicly tweet good luck Druff but then I can't find it isn't that weird it's kind of weird yeah I don't think it was a direct message either you don't think what 
I don't think I I don't believe it was a direct message and I just got confused. I think it was a public I I'm pretty sure it was a public tweet. Right. And uh and and then she deleted it. It's so weird. Like 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 I would not have been insulted if she said nothing to me because we're not close friends. Like if she didn't say anything to me about this final table, I, I would not say, Oh, genocide, I expected you to say something. Like I she's not someone I would expect to wish me luck. She's also not someone I'd expect to w- root against me. She's kind of like I thought, like in the middle, like she wouldn't give a shit if I won or lost. And um, you know, I thought it was sweet that she sent me a good luck draft, but then why delete it? <laughs> you know, like, right. It's not even like she put like good luck draft, beat those eleven idiots. Like it, it wasn't like that. It was like good luck draft. Like so, even if there's like someone else at the table that she's supposed to root for too, she can't. It can't be good luck for both of us. Like I, right. so weird. But anyway, that I just thought of that when we mentioned uh, he mentioned the safe and genocide. So uh, I'm going to ask her about that. I think I'm going to DM her and say, "What the hell? Like, what, why would he remove it?" Um, well, I, I, bad guy, you're going to call in here. It's seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five or seven zero two four three zero eighteen zero eight. Grenada Roger in the chat room saying she must have been tweeting to some other druff, obviously. <laughs> really strange. So, um, any anything going on with lock poker this week, or are we still at the same nah, same this, place we were before? Same crap. I actually was looking for like fraud related stories to talk about this week, and they really none of these things have resolved themselves. But right. nothing really new has happened either, right. which in a way made me glad. I mean, I, I want to see these things get resolved, so I don't think. But I'm saying from a content of the show standpoint, I really wanted to talk a lot about my final table and, and the David Baker situation. They, all, all the stuff surrounding that. Because sure. it, obviously it was a big event for me um, to, to make that and, uh, and and then have the unfortunate added part of uh, the stupid David Baker commentary. And uh, so I, you know, I had a lot to talk about with what just happened the last few days. And Right. Oh, yeah. One thing I just wanted to mention about Lock Poker, I don't know if this came on in the last couple of weeks, but um, I saw something was posted about Someone confronted Barry Shulman about why Lock Poker is on his, you know, it's the top banner on Card Player. I'm on there right now. And he said that he talked to Jen personally, and she assured him everything was okay. Well, they, they, well, I, I approached Jeff Shulman about this at, at a cash game uh, last month. And he pretended not to know. Right, I, I can't say for sure pretended, because maybe he didn't know, but I had to think he did. But whatever, Jeff Shulman said he didn't know. I said, you know what's going on at Lock Poker, right? He says, no, what's going on there? I'm like, oh, boy, okay. So so I explained it to him. And I didn't go into, like, a long, boring explanation. I just I kept it very simple and, and said it's it kind of like, you know, I was explaining that it looks like they have no money and they're just uh, stalling as much as they can to pay people out and maybe paying people out. This is before they paid anyone, but that they might end up paying a few people very slowly starting in June or in late May to where it looks like they have money when in reality they have very little. And he said, oh, you mean like full till all over again? I said, exactly, like full till all over again. So like he totally got it. So I so then he says, okay, well, I'll look into it. Well, I knew what that meant. I knew that probably means uh, I'll say I'll look into it so it'll shut you up and then I'll do nothing as long as I keep paying the bills. So uh, card player... Obviously, is not making anywhere near the money they used to, because their biggest customers were the online poker sites. And now that Americans cannot play online poker, except on some of these small sites like Lock Poker and, and Merge, 
they're not getting the big money anymore. And the card player made a fortune for many years during the poker boom. And now they've had to adjust back down to being a shell of their former selves. Because they kind of started small. They've been around for a long time. But they were kind of just a small magazine that was, uh, you know, showing up in card rooms that uh, took ads from just local card rooms. It's kind of funny. It was like a national magazine, but yet it had ads for local card rooms all over the place. But you have to think they weren't getting paid all that much for that. You have to think that card player was making money, but it wasn't like making huge money. But then they did make huge money. Barry and Jeff Shulman did very, very well over uh, over those uh, coming years when the poker boom happened. They made tons. I mean, I don't even think they were offering breakback at a lot of these sites. People would just go there, sign up for full tilt, AP, B, and they just must have been making like huge margins on whatever the rake that came in. Yeah. And, I mean, times thousands of thousands of players. Well, and they were also charging very high rates for the ads themselves. Yeah, that too. And, you know, they had a lot of national advertising. I was actually watching an episode of Poker Superstars the other day that used to air on Fox. And, you know, every commercial break, they had a, you know, a big advertisement. So they must have done very well. They did do very well. So it's a tough adjustment to be doing so well and then... The money dries up because of the Black Friday, and they are na- they have to go reduce themselves. Um, it, you know, it's it's it, it sucks. It sucks when you've tasted success, and then you have to go back to being small time like you once were. Nobody wants that. It's, it's one thing if you're always small time, but uh, to, to return to the small time sucks. So, right. uh, card players had to do that to some degree, and the last thing they want to do now is send away their biggest sponsor. For moral reasons. So think of your Barry and Jeff Shulman. You're barely getting by as it is on your magazine. I mean, I'm sure they have a lot of money personally at the moment, but I'm saying the business itself, I'm not sure how much money it's making anymore. And they have one big sponsor that's still feeding them a lot of money. So can you really tell that sponsor, fuck off, you're not advertising here again until you get things right? I mean, you can if you have a very strong moral fiber and not wanting to advertise a site that looks very much like a, a scam site that uh, not wanting to advertise that is more important than making money but for a lot of people making money and keeping their business afloat and keeping their business profitable is more important than anything else some people would sell out their own grandmother to do that Right. so and and I don't think Jeff Shulman goes to sleep thinking, oh, I'm, I'm sending people over to lock poker to get cheated. I don't think he believes that. I don't think Barry Shulman believes that. I think they lie to themselves, just like everybody, just like the pros who went along with lock all this time. Everybody who's in, I don't think Eric Risen Lynch goes to sleep believing that he's uh, sending people over to lock to get cheated. I, I don't think all these people, I think they've lied to themselves. that They made themselves convinced that... Everything's okay, and that uh, you know Jen Larson's a, a, a good woman, and she's just uh, you know they're just having a few problems there, but it's, it's all getting worked out. Yeah, and what it, happened to him? Risen? He just disappeared, huh? Well, he still tweets about block poker. He just he 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 wisely got out of the way. He 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 at some point must have told Jen, "I don't want to be the the 
the face the forum of, of this disaster on the, on the forum, yeah, hire someone else for this. So that's when they brought Shane into this. Right. So they're like, here, let's find an asshole who doesn't mind if everybody hates him. And like Shane's like, oh yeah, me. I'm an yeah, unlike- that's me. I, I'm an unlikable jerk. I can I can be on the forum. Okay. <laughs> right. Risen, you can go away. You you can just be the background manager here. We'll have Shane to take the brunt of this. Everybody hates him anyway. So that's pretty much what they did. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, I I don't think I, I think that Locke is just doomed here. It's a it's a matter of when it finally comes crashing down. The truth is, as long as they can keep themselves licensed in some way with some sort of sham licensing board and some company in some country, whatever it is right now. And uh, as long as they can keep it operating, as long as they can keep paying for ads in places like card player, they will get new people signing up who aren't aware of what's going on. They'll get by and then they'll keep stalling the players who are cashing out as much as they can process a few cash outs where it all looks sort of on the level. So people don't completely freak out. And they can just do this and, and, and blame the government for as long as they can and, and hope one day they get big enough to catch back up to all the cash-outs that they're behind on. But it's, it's yeah. not going to happen. It's just yeah, not going to happen. Just, they just seems they're in way, way too deep. Yeah. So. Okay, well, uh, um, bad guy, are you going to call in? I mean, it's I see you right there in the chat. We're about to we're end the show otherwise. I see, I see you're in the chat. He's, he's writing in the chat here... Uh, um, I don't even know if there's a warrant. I don't get my own mail. <laughs> That's a nice. Thing. Um, uh, what? Is it? Whores need you less and less as the kid gets older. I pay way too much for li- my lifestyle. That's that's a nice chat there. Whores need you less and less as the kid gets older. There's always a lot of talk about bad guy on child support. Well. Bad guy, you need to call in child support or not. Otherwise, you'll have to spend the rest of the evening in your residential neighborhood by yourself because we won't be able to have you on. Because uh, I usually bad guy interrupts these uh, these serious poker topics, and I see him come in, and I go, "Okay, we got to have the bad guy in every show." So we put him on anyway, and I interrupt whatever I was talking about. But th- this time, I'm begging him to call in, and he won't call. He's right in the chat too. I mean, people have come to expect this. People have, you know, they listen to the show and they hear all the poker content and they hear all the serious stuff and they go, you know what? I'm tired of all the serious stuff. I want, I want a bad guy call. I want to finish off with a bad guy call. People love the show when he and his girlfriend called in for the first time. People love that show. That crazy segment we had for like an hour and a half at the end of the show. Like they, they want bad guy 23 to call in. And... Oh, he's at Holiday yep. Inn tonight, supposedly. Well, there's there's phones there. Of course, there. Here, I'll top the phone number in the. He knows the phone number here. Just saying, give him the number. He can call me the. He can give me the number of the Holiday Inn. I'll ask for him. I don't care. I'll call the Holiday Inn. We're actually having a child support debate. I shouldn't say we. I'm not involved in it. But uh, there's a child support debate going on in the chat. That uh, someone in the chat is saying 90% of the time child support doesn't go to supporting the child. And sadly, that's actually true. I always felt that there should be some burden on whoever's receiving child support to prove where the money's going. 
Because I have known women that have done this, that take child support and then spend it on themselves. But then I also know dads who are just deadbeat dads and leave the whole leave the whole burden on the mom to support the kid. And that shouldn't happen either. But it also, yeah, I can also see for the guy it's frustrating to uh, watch the kids get the minimum and, and you know, watch the their ex-girlfriend or ex-wife take the money and spend it on herself. So that, that's lousy too. So, uh, bad guy, hello. Yeah, I'm here, buddy. What's up? So, um, did you watch the uh, the final table? I watched the whole thing, man. I stayed up. I watched the whole thing. Judge is a pussy cat. She was a little bit mad, but I watched the whole thing, man. I did. There's right, so nothing you could do, man. So, so, so your girlfriend wanted you to come to bed, but you said no. I've got to watch it rough here for as long as he survives. Yeah, I had it right on. I swear to God, huh? I was in the chat the whole time until the end. I mean, wow. can, I, I was in the chat and on the forum until the end. I, I was. I mean, I was watching. I was sweating you, and I had zero money on you more than I was sweating games that I was losing money on. That's a wow. true story. You know, um, I, I think I would have tried to last longer if I knew that uh, there's a guy in Pennsylvania who is actually turning down sex with his girlfriend in order to watch me at the table. <laughs> I didn't say that. I mean, it was just what it was. You know, I mean, I, people, people are... I, I, come on, man. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been on this radio show for six, seven years, and... I mean, when you got to the final table, I was more... I even called my mom and told her. I said, you remember Finkelstein? Because she heard the prank <laughs> call before. I'm not even kidding you. I called my mom. I said, well, if you if you go on ESPN3, he's going to be on there. He's, he made a final table. I swear to God, I did that before you even started. I, I called my mother. I don't know if she watched Immaculate. I don't know if she watched it or not. But I did do that because I, and I mean... That's one. I mean, that's once in a life. I mean, how many times are you going to be in that position? Well, I, I hope it's not one. Seriously. I hope it's not once in a lifetime. I hope it's not even once in the series. No, I know that. But I know. It is. It was the first final table I made at the World Series in seven years. So it was a. It, it was hey, a big I told deal you, I, I supported this show for years. Yeah. yeah. Joe's so, pussy cat's here, but she, uh, she's a little bit sleeping. Okay, she's sleeping. Hey, hey you want to talk to Joe? He wants to talk to you. Hello. Come on, babe. Talk to Joe. Joe, here. Talk. Get out, Tom. Okay, you hear that, Jeff? It's not, it's not sounding good right now, man. Yeah, but yeah. I can maybe get her up. Yeah, yeah. Hey, bad guy. We can talk a little like, bit longer. You sound a little down tonight. Yeah. Uh, why? Why do you sound you so sad? I am because your your Boston Bruins fucked me big tonight, buddy. <laughs> hey, you went against the wormhole. Like I, I don't know what to tell you. What? The, what? C Money had a pick on Chicago. He didn't put it out. But I know he had Chicago tonight. Oh fuck! I didn't see it, man. He didn't fucking. He usually PMs me, man. Or he might have. I don't even check the pants. I mean, you know, I want to take him too, but you know, Chicago should have won. I mean, are you kidding? Chicago shouldn't have won that game. I, I mean, probably not. We both I mean, watched it. They're definitely the better team overall. So, oh, definitely, I mean, but not tonight. You think they were better tonight? They were good enough to score those last two goals in the, at the end of the game. So, I mean, that's all I they mean, needed. How crazy! I thought I thought they scored three. They didn't give them the empty netter or what? I don't think so. I, think... I thought it was four two. We Josie, the pussy cat, and I were out, and I thought it was four to two when I left. But hey, it happens, man. You know, easy comes, easy goes. That's how it works in this business, especially sports gambling. Yeah. Well. Uh... So anyway. No, go on. Hello. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Go on. No, no, no. Go ahead, man. Any questions, man? We were. Rocking me on here. I mean, everybody rocks me every week. I mean, 
It's, if it's not one thing, it's another. It's, it's what it is. Well, the, the good question here is, uh, are you coming to Las Vegas for the World Series? We're almost done with the World Series now. No, I know you are. I know you are. I want to, man, this week. I'm actually at a hotel right by the airport, ready to ship out. Uh, it's just tonight, man. I'm just, I am depressed now. You guys could even tell in my voice. That's pretty funny. You guys, you guys, that's why I can't play poker against you guys, man. You can tell. <laughs> I mean, I am upset, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm just mad. I mean, if you're up two to one with a minute 16, you win that game 98% of the time. You know, For it's sure. just like drop. How, how about the ace king versus the ace queen against that cat? I mean, yeah, it's I the same yeah, thing. Yeah. How about it? But, <laughs> but you know, bad guy. I know. It's the same, it's the same thing. If you play long enough, those things happen. <laughs> You know, sometimes they happen in your favor, sometimes not. You know, it's like getting hit with a one or two outer in poker. They, they. they I do think about not. that though. If if that didn't roll off, that queen, he obviously pays off the river with ace queen. So, um, it's a, it was a three hundred forty five k pot. I thought it was four hundred at first, but I recalculated three forty five. That's still a lot. So three forty five k. You add that to my stack. You know, like that, that totally changes everything. Sure. No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. But you know what? The thing is, you'll be there way more times than me, man. I mean, no, listen, I, I won 12 days in a row. It was coming. And I got lucky two games yesterday, even. And then I shared away on St. Louis late. And they started that game at 11 o'clock at night, shit that away. And today I come back and I bet fucking way too much. I live better these son of a bitches after the second period. I mean, going into the third period, I live better Boston, too, for another 500. So it was just stupid. But Boston just looked like a dominant team. And... You know, hockey won the game seven, you would think. I mean, look at all the penalties Boston got. It's just Boston couldn't get it done tonight. And, that, and the thing that makes me laugh is Crawford played like a fucking champ tonight, man. This guy couldn't stop a beach ball when I had to sweat the 6-5 game when I had Chicago. But, you know, easy. I mean, am I depressed? No. I mean, does it, does it break me? Does it kill me? No. But it, it's still, it, it, to me, that's a big swing, man. You know, not as big as your swing. Dude. I mean, I, I would be way more upset. I mean, it, like when after you left that table drop, how pissed were you? You know, seriously, you know, you, you I, had that's to be a good mad. question. Because I mean, you were the best player there, bro. Listen, listen, it, it, it's a uh, it's a good question you're asking. I was mad. I, I know, and, and people <laughs> people told me this, but you know, when when I went out, it was like it was like a disappointment, but I, I wasn't mad. I was just like, oh, this sucks. Like, like wow, I, this was kind of I, like I felt this is my chance. This is my moment I've been waiting for to win that second bracelet and it was right there and it just uh, it just didn't happen and I was like right. and what, what kept bugging me was like I hope I don't have to wait seven years for this again like right. uh, if I get another right. shot at I mean, it soon then then fine but like I, I don't want to wait seven years I don't want to have to do this every seven years and then have one shot at winning you know like I, I want to have yeah, that's why I was so sick for you man because I know that was like since the last time and let me tell you something I'll never forget I remember you being on ESPN, and I was at the girl's house that killed herself, even. Think about the year it was. What year did you win that tournament? Yeah, well, was, I was on ESPN. I didn't win that one. I was finished third, but the same year I won. It okay, yeah, yeah, that's when you were at the, the kid with the beard, right? Like, the kid had the beard? Yeah, that was, that was Eric Froehlich. You came off, you came, listen, you know, you came off real cocky to me. Like, on a TV, when I, before I knew who you were or anything. Did you, ever, you came off cocky on that broadcast. Yeah, I know. I, I, try, I try to. I, I, I try to uh, uh, just act uh, crazy on there, and it, it didn't come out the way I wanted to. So this, this time, I had a, a much different. Uh, oh, bro, I thought there. you had it, man. I, I would have. I, I tell you what, if someone would have took my bet, I would have bet on you. <laughs> Another loser, man. <laughs> but I mean, 
What can you do, though? What can you do? What can you do at the end there? I mean, there's nothing you can do. Is that how limit works? You just can't do anything about it. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know poker like you guys. Yeah, you can't do anything. You're just you're just screwed. I mean, you're, you're just, you're just screwed. You if you don't get your hot, play you don't was 100% hands, right there. The yeah, and that queen killed off on the fourth card. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, you know, no, you know what makes me feel good at least is I, other than that one where the guy had the jack three and bluffed me, but there was no way for me to call because uh, you know I had such a short stack and it, and it was there were so many cards I couldn't beat. Other than that one hand, I didn't make a single bad laydown. Not not one time. I, no, no one bluffed I me off. Here. I, I, and I, I don't think I don't think I ever called the river and lost at the final table. I, I don't th- I don't think I did. I can't remember one hand what? I called the river and lost. So yeah, I, I was ready for you to rev it up there, like 2004 or whatever it was, man. I thought you were going to rev it up and just start coming through these fools, man. That's so what that, I was rooting for, man. That, that was the, the whole time I was saying, just going to rev, rev it up. I, I, you fell a couple times, then you jumped back up to second. I mean, I, I was rooting for you, man. I was rooting for you like you were the Pittsburgh Pirates, man, or the Philadelphia Eagles. My two, like... Eagles are my favorite football team. I swear to God, I was. I mean, I, I watched the whole goddamn thing. And sometimes it cut out, and I had to refresh it. But other than that, man, it was just the same thing. I mean, I was rooting for you the whole time. I really was. And those guys didn't do you know any justice on her. But you know, it's what it was. You, I mean, you don't even know what they're saying. They're just jealous. That's what I said. I mean, they're talking about you on there. <laughs> you're, you're playing, and they're in the fucking commentator booth. Yeah, someone's asking Fuck in the chat. Uh, someone's asking if if I threw an f bomb when I busted. I didn't at all. I, he said it can be heard on the video. No, you about... were you I, when you busted. I seen you shake the guy's hands. I mean, you, you didn't do it. I mean, hey, it happened. No, I, I, I actually didn't say anything. Accepted. I I actually I, I in fact when that queen rolled off on the turn. Now inside that fucking killed me. Like I but I didn't. I you, yeah, you look at my reaction. I just kind of I I just sat there. I I killed me too, man. I was like, what the fuck. Yeah, I, I thought I was playing. I, I mean, I'm not even kidding you. I swear to God. No, I, you know, I just, I just sat there. I just, you know, when the queen rolled off, obviously I knew I was pretty much done. But I, I but if you was, double up there, you're right back. I, mean, I know, you're, you're I know, in but shape, man. You're, and you're at least, I, at least then, or at least, at least that guy busts, and I finish fourth and get seventeen thousand more. But you know, right? Uh, and you but, get more money. Yeah, yeah but, but so at least a fifty. So sick, that fucking nerd. So the old guy ended up winning, correct? Yeah. I mean, Natural Born Hustler had some of the greatest names for the guys, though. I, yeah. I got to give them that. That's, <laughs> and I mean, I've seen that before they even said it again today. Like, Drew, refer to the players who said his name, but he was dead on the money. Like, he said that earlier in the thread, but someone bumped it again today, but that was hilarious. But they are, I mean, that one dude with the glasses, he just wouldn't die, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Marfrey or the, the terrorist. I think he called him the terrorist. I yeah, that, that was Gabriel. Yeah, he yeah he wouldn't die. He, I mean, he got down to forty nine thousand against me all in, and, and then he ended up uh, almost winning. And the only reason he couldn't win is because the old man was even hotter than him. So I'll, yeah, I'll tell I mean, you what, what it really well, what it really sucked is, imagine you came in and you just got cold decked and you went out like tenth or ninth. Well, or whatever. yes, that yes, were... and that's what I cool. thought. And that's that's what I said. Uh, um, that's actually what I thought. I had mixed feelings when this is over. And I'm like, fuck, I can't believe I went off fifth. Man, this sucks. This isn't what I wanted. And then I go, well, this does suck, but if I went out ninth and just like got super cold it could decked, have been way worse, right? Yeah, I, like, and, and, walked away with, like, and walked away with 16. If it goes like that, there's nothing you can do, man. Like, that guy was down to his last chips how many times? That, I know. That if, kid with look, the glasses. If I went out ninth and walked away with 16K and, and, uh, and for a 5K event after all that, I, I would have just been like, "Oh my god, this is awful!" And after all this, I only made eleven k. Like, I at least here, I at least here the the profit I cleared on this event 
uh, not counting the you know what I had to you know pay out to the investors. Um, but the profit that was cleared in this event was almost 50k because it was it was 5k buy-in and I got I cashed uh, almost 52,600. So I mean that, that's at least a healthy profit. At least there I cashed more than 10 times the buy-in, but to cash 16k on a 5 5k buy-in after all that would have been at three long days like that that would have been a freaking killer. So so I thought, you know, at least I didn't have a disastrous day. It just it, the way I described my day there was inconsistent. I, it's not like I was winning no hands, but I, I could not get any kind of streak going and eventually time ran the out. The one hand I have a question for you. I don't, uh, you probably won't remember cuz you played so many hands, but there's the one time that uh, you 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 flopped for, you had a face I think in the you 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 flopped an ace on the turn or on the yeah on the on the turn and then the, then the thing came to make us trade the guy had a king ten you didn't re raise him that's you remember that hand you know oh, what I'm no, talking about yes yes no you, I even put it I put you didn't re raise him I did you, is it because you thought he might have king ten because yes, you well, knew he didn't this, have an ace right this is what it is you're talking about the hand it was fairly early on. I had pocket aces. Right, against, yeah. Against, it, it was way. It, it was, it, it was, it was way against before, the old man. Yeah. It was against the old man. He raised pre flop. I three bet him. He he snap called the three bet without even thinking if uh, four betting, which will be important in a second. The flop came queen jack okay. low queen jack low card. He check called me on the flop, and then when I an ace came off on the turn, giving me a set of aces. He right. checked. He checked. I bet. He raised me. So then I just called. And then when he bet the river, which was a blank, I just called again. He turned over queen jack for two pair, and I won. So the question was, why didn't I raise him either on the turn or or wait till the river and, and then raise him? Why why didn't I? So what some people said is, why didn't I wait till the river to re-raise and, and then fold if he three bets me? And and so you know, so I thought it was possible he had king ten because when he check raised the turn, I thought that yes, he could have a small set. But I didn't see. I didn't think he had queens or jacks. I just didn't think he had queens or jacks he, because he probably would have four bet them because he, too. Because he probably would have four bet them. So I thought, or at least thought of four bet. He just like snap called my three bet pre flop. So I thought he doesn't have those. So he he even has queen jack, king ten. Either e- these are easily in his range. In fact, he opened. The, 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 the ace didn't scare that guy at all, though, right? Am I correct on that? When the ace peeled off on the turn, no, because, him, be, right? because well, no, because of the way I played it, I understand why he thought that uh, the ace hit me. He thought I had like ace king. Uh, so he right, check, so he check he raised the flop. Okay. So so sorry sorry. So no, he thought he thought that hit me. Now, so I don't blame him for check raising. I actually would have check raised the flop if I were him, but but that doesn't matter. He check raised the turn, and then um, I thought king ten is definitely in his range, which it was. And what I didn't want is then to get uh, re raised, and then have him like it was it was a judgment call. It's like yeah, he could have queen jack, but I don't think he have queens. I don't think he has jacks. Um, and, and yeah, he could have. Plus, the the pot was monstrous enough as those too. Yeah, well, so so, so I, I just I just thought that, uh, and this is the very beginning too. I, I thought also because of his age. Yeah, but that, it's easy to see when we're seeing the cards. It's easy to say I don't touch and repop them. But I mean, I it was close. I, almo- I, mean, I almost I did mean, re-raise I, him. I, I, I mean, I don't have. No, I, I I said it in the thing. I said you're the pro. In, in a cash game, him. I would always <laughs> re-raise there. Uh, but but in, early in the tournament, I always raised there. I just there, I just didn't want to lose extra chips if he had king ten. No, I, I mean, I just if you would have raised him, though, he would have probably called right. He would have had. To, oh no! Right? He, of I mean, course, he would have called. Yes, yes, he would have definitely called all the way down. Would, and but but the thing right. was here, I just didn't see that he had queens or jacks, and I thought, you know, I, I think it could be queen jack, it could be king ten, but but it could be a small set. But I just don't want to. I'd rather not win extra chips than lose chips here. So that's why I did it. And um, you know, 
and people said, why don't you just raise the river, and then if, if yeah, and then if he uh, if he three bets you, you can just fold. And I was afraid of that in case he had a set, and uh, and and somehow stupidly thought he should re-raise me because maybe he thought I think a right. seven hit the river. So I was afraid. What if he thinks I have sevens or a seven or something, and then and then thinks he's still good, and then I make like the worst laydown of all time. <laughs> So, like, I was afraid because this is an old man. Yeah, because then you, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Now, the, the, uh, I, when you're watching it and you see the cars, then you're saying, oh, Jeff, come on, baby. I mean, that's yeah, I know. That's what it was. So it, it I'm, not say, I'm not saying three betting there would be wrong. I just, I just, I, I, I just decided to play that one safe. And that's, uh, yeah, you're, ne- you're never going to fold that river, anyways. I, mean, I got one more question. I got one. I got one. Queens, too, you know. That's what I thought, too. Like, he could definitely have those two hands, the, the, the Queens or Jacks, but Jeff, they'll know that, though. You right. know what I mean? I mean, so yeah, and, and the truth is, it was only a matter of it was only a matter of one extra bet. It was only a matter of one extra bet I could have gotten. But yeah, that was uh, you know that was one I could have done differently. But I, but I still you know I, I still don't think it was that bad. It because didn't was, change things. You still won a nice pot on that hand. Yeah, and, and, and that was uh, a good pot. That, that was a good pot. You know, I just I just thought that you know the old guy check raising me there after quickly check calling the flop. It just looked like, oh, he's got King Ten now. He's and now you he's said his reign could be King Ten. Oh, it, so it you totally could. Think have been. that in the back of your mind. If no, I it totally could have been. If in fact, I, I do this, then he might come. Up. I, I saw him he raise. Could have the, that. I saw him raise with King Ten from that exact spot in other points in the tournament. So it easily could have been King Ten. It's not like King Ten was un, uh, unreasonable there. It easily could have been right. King Ten. No, I agree. I agree. And you, you, you never really when you saw him get out of the line either, right? No, it was just the big. I knew nothing about him. He just, I just started playing with him. I had very little experience with him. You probably yeah. My first thought about this guy would be old tight guy, and if I got raised on that turn there, the first first thing I think is Jesus Christ, this guy has king ten. That's what I thought because especially because especially because he he like snap called my pre my pre flop three bet, and then like snap called the pre the, the the flop. Did bet. you know you need? Did you know you needed an ace on that turn? Probably. I mean, no, because that, he hadn't right? shown aggression yet. So I, I thought I thought I was good, but then when I got check raised, I'm like, fuck. I wonder if this ace hurt me. <laughs> it turned out it didn't. It turned out the ace helped me. It turned out I was losing before that. But yeah, anyway. the ace fucking helped you greatly. But, but that I, fucking uh, piece of shit card that came on the end didn't help anything. Because you would have smacked. I think he would have came at you again. Though. He thought his queen. Well, he might. But you could have had ace queen there too, right? I mean, or any, I mean, even ace jack when that ace hit. That ace had to slow him down in a way. But it really didn't, I don't think. I mean, no, I, 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 I lost it wrong there. I'm always drunk. <laughs> So, all right. But I don't play the same way because the only way, if you raise him, but he would have had to call, though, with all that money in the pot, but that didn't matter, man. The shit came down to the end, and that, the limits are really bad there in the end from what I was seeing. Well, they got it's bad like, at the end because it, because everyone took so long to bust, it got really bad because the chips were all spread out to six people. Yeah, it looked like a luck fest to me. Yeah, it, it, at that point it was because at that point with with six people left and the blinds getting so big, then the blind then everyone was kind of short stack compared to the blind. So then it was like it was just a matter of who catches cards, and I was not one of them. So that's the way it goes. I have a question for you. Never see any question. Do you think if if you were rough, now everybody gets older and everybody's balls shrink a little bit because you've been there before. First off. If you think you were the drop of like the time that you won the tournament, do you think you would have cut that table up like nothing? No, no, it would have been the same thing. You, would you have been more aggressive? No, no, I got, I got to, in, in 2000. you never won before. In, in, no, in 2000, no. in 2005, I finished third before finishing first. And that one, um, you know, I, I got beat down by the deck at the end, too. I finished third. I, I was the chip leader at one point, then I got beat down, and I couldn't win. Well, so you know limit, man. You know how to play it. Yeah, just, you that's know, sometimes you, it happens. That's why you're the champ. Sometimes you just don't get cards, and you just get beat down in limit. That can easily happen. So, 
Um, you know, like, like for the, the first limit event I played, the 1500 event this year, I went from almost no chips up to the chip leader to being gone within two and a half hours. I just lost every hand after that, and I was gone. So happens sometimes. There's nothing you can do. So anyway, more often than not, the, I mean, the cards are going to control the play a lot more than the players, I think, in the, the limit tournaments towards the end of the... Yeah, they I do. mean, even in the middle middle stages, too. I mean, you have to know what you're doing, but, I mean, unless you're really getting slapped by the deck, I mean, look at those guys that got lucky there, you know? I mean, everybody yeah. thought those oh, guys dude, those would be guys out three different times. Yeah. Kyler's right, man. Those guys fucking should have been out of there a couple times, man. They yeah. just boom, boom, they hit it. It yeah, was, they, they, like every time they got short, they got hit with, with big hands. They suddenly got all queen. I was calling it six, man. I was call, I thought it was poker stars, full kill poker. I, I mean, I thought I was watching online poker. I mean, is this serious? He's got, they, they would not die, those cats, man. They would not go down, man. <laughs> and, 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 and being a player, how, how discouraging is that, Gruff? Being a player, like, even if you're not in the hand, you want these guys to bust, man. Well, and How discouraging is that? The whole, the, whole, the whole final day. The, blinds are that high and stuff. the whole final day took uh, ten hours, including breaks. Which wow. is, but the thing is, you were over six hours right. in, and there were still six players. You don't even drink. There were six, there, was, there were still six players. <laughs> I, I I bust like the six plays happened at like the six hour twenty minute mark. It's crazy. I, I don't understand. I mean, I don't know how you do it, bro. I, I even put a thing on, man. Get up, Red Bull. And some fucking great goose, man. I call it oxygen, man. That might loosen you up, man. I mean, I couldn't do that. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how any of you guys do that. I mean, because, I mean, I'd be so fucking mad at the end of that and say, what? I wouldn't be mad. If, I wouldn't be mad if I won $52,000. And, hey, Lou, I could pay my child support then, right, buddy? <laughs> I mean, but I'm saying, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, though, I mean, a guy like you, who's a professional, who, who makes money like he makes money, and, you know, I mean, it just, it got to be gut-wrenching, man. It's got to be like losing the game tonight in the Boston game. No, I believe that. That's why I couldn't play these tournaments full-time, because it would uh, it would be too stressful. It, it would destroy, yeah, it would destroy you mentally, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would. I, I just, I, I couldn't do it full-time. Just... You're too smart to get destroyed mentally, brother. Yeah, honestly, these hey, days I bet are, on you any days days are so long. Hey, Canada. You guys exactly. are both going to be in the main event. You both, you, Drop, you're playing the main event, right? Yeah. China, yeah. You're playing yeah. the main event. Yeah. Yeah. You guys got to bring it home, man, for PSA, man. Do the best you can do, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and don't forget, there's always another hand, man. There's always another hand, man. Don't kill. I, I hope we, I, I hope we have. Uh... That. <laughs> I was going to say, the one thing that's really painful about play, playing these and playing them every day, I mean, especially if you're an online player, which is, you know, that's. Definitely my background, and, you know, Druff's got a ton of online experience, too. I mean, you're seeing sometimes two, 250 to 500 hands an hour online, and then, you know, you go here and, you you know, you sit down it's and just, it's 20, 25, 30 hands an hour, and then, you know, it's just... And then you're there, and then if you make it even to, you know, the final table, or even when you guys are going today, whatever it is, how many days is the final fucking thing? Six days? What is it? Oh, no, it's, no, it's many more days than that. It was... Uh, I made it to day six in 2010. Jesus Christ, so you got to fight for 20 days, man, and then, you know, a whole month, and you don't even get anything. I mean, this is bullshit. But, by the way, you uh, got to get to these fucking hair guys. You, you, know, you, know what, you know what country is uh, killing online. it this year in the World Series? Canada now has uh, nine bracelets. Wow. wow. How many does the U.S. Nine have? bracelets in Canada? Well, a lot more than that, but, Wait, but there's a lot, right. yeah, there's a, what happened was... Uh, Canadian, is there Canadian World Series of poker? Th- th- we got two, there's two more... 
Canadian bracelets now. Uh, one went to um, Justin Oliver in in the twenty five hundred uh, no limit four handed, and then uh, Daniel Idema who has a bracelet oh, wait, already. You're saying the Canadians are winning all the bracelets? Is what you're saying? Yeah, they, well, I thought you meant like Canada yeah, having a World Series of Poker. So all the Canadians are wearing all the bracelets. Is that what? Well, you're, they, they've you won. Know, they've won. All, they've won almost a quarter of the bracelets so far. They're getting sharp, man. They're they've, getting they've, sharper than your guys. They, they've won. They've won about a quarter of the bracelets so far. You, do you understand why? I mean, they get to play off. They get to play poker stars from full tilt. I mean, it's not hard to know that. I mean, carbon poker is great, man. But I mean, come on, it's not the same competition. It's not the same tables. I mean, you guys serious? I mean, you, you you got your foul lawsuit. <laughs> now, what about what about Jared Hamby? Do you think I'm kidding? Do you don't think that's? Do you think that has anything to do with it? It, it might. Uh, I think he's getting lucky this year. Uh, uh, Jared Hamby, he's not Canadian. He, he just won a bracelet too. Let's see what country is he from. Wow, I, I was just watching. I was just clicking on Poker News about how many USA so people won bracelets, Jeff. He he had an eight, eight to one chip at disadvantage. It was like eight point five million to like one point three wow, million. Wow, uh, he won. Good for him. And, and he, yeah, he, he the, only won. One, the only one doing good in these tournaments other than you, Drop, is Eric Langren. And he owes everybody money. I mean, <laughs> it's either the Gent or Canadian. I mean, this shit's out of control, man. I, I mean, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, he's from, he's from, at least he's from Texas. We got the one for Americans here. Hamby's from Texas. So. We have one American bracelet. And, no, and no, more than one. We just got one. I mean, we, got, we got another one today, I'm saying, from Jared Hamby. So. You know what? If they would make poker on Olympic sport. You guys would be on top. I mean, we wouldn't lose shit. They they give you all the tech. They give you everything you needed, man. They even give you the computers. I mean, you have like twenty screens going at one time. I mean, it would be great. I mean, this is out, this is outrageous because we're the best. We're the best poker players, right or wrong? Well, we still have the most bracelets right now. Just just not. There's a lot of Canadians this year that are winning a lot more than expected. So they have, they have about a quarter of the bracelets. Brother. I mean, I mean, even like the Jamaican, the Jamaicans bobsled, I mean, I mean, this is out of control, man. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. If the, uh, the Jamaicans can win the bobsledding, anything can happen. If John Candy is the coach, they can win. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking this. I'm wondering when WSOP.com, when they go online, I'm wondering if they're going to have, like, the Winter World Series of Poker where they have, like, pretty much the same type of buy-ins only just have them online. You think that's a possibility? No, because everyone would have to go to uh, Nevada to do it. But still, I, they'd probably draw a lot of online players, and then whoever's in Nevada already might, you know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do with their tournaments and to see if there are people who actually will come in to play tournaments uh, just online. And the WSOP.com has them at. The World Series, too. Well, when WSOP... Pete.com hitting the map, boys. You nobody could, nobody knows yet. Three weeks is hitting. That's, why I'm, that's what I'm wanting to make my Vegas debut. Well, it'll probably be, in July, probably be in July sometime. I'm going to put someone on the phone here. I don't know who this is. Call from unknown caller. To accept, press 1. To send a voicemail, press Who is two. it? I'm going to put someone on the phone here. I hope it's a fan. Caller, hello. This is Dean Delante. Oh, no. Hey, what's up, Delante? You guys want some hookers? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Phil. Uh, uh, Janine's been our secretary for years. You guys thought you had me with that. <laughs> That's the best prank call ever, girl. You got <laughs> Yeah, That person just said this is Dean Delante and hung up. But they didn't even, the name was Phil Dean, Delante. it's not even the right name. It's I not mean, even the right I, name. I said Delante 
So you guys wouldn't think I listened to this show. Yeah, maybe That's it's his brother. That's why I said Delante on the prank call. actually a pretty good impersonation of Delante, I thought. I guess, yeah, I guess they only I had, like... Delante. I guess they only had, like, five seconds of the impersonation in them. They couldn't continue. They, they shot what their the load. Fuck? Who the hell was that? Okay, so... Alright, well, I guess we're done tonight. I guess we're done tonight. Thank you very much, uh, bad guy, for calling in, despite your uh, not-so-happy state of mind. You and I can both be sad together. I'm happy. happy. Hey, call to you guys. I'm happy. No, that's good to hear. You know, easy come, easy go. Just gambling, brother. We both know that. Yeah, so anyway... uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, thank you, China Maniac, once again for co-hosting with me. This is almost going to become the Druff and China show because he's here pretty much yeah, every I think week. Yeah, it should be called the Druff and China Man show. Yeah, I think it should. <laughs> China Man. <laughs> uh, I, I hope next week I have a whole long um, group of events. To, I shouldn't say long. I have four events to play before the uh, main event. I hope next week when I come on, which will be between the preliminary events and the main for me, that I'll have more final tables to talk about. And that is scheduled for July 1st, eight days from now, at 7 o'clock Pacific Time from yet another secret location. You're going to win the July 1st event. That's my kid's birthday, Jeff. You're going to win that one. Oh, July 1st? I swear it is. No, but it's I... My well, youngest daughter is always Benjamin. Well, I would, birthday, I'd so have to final table the, uh, the, the t- June 29th event to make that, but maybe... Maybe. So anyway, you're, you're gonna win the July first event, brother. I'm gonna be looking to go three for three for Poker Fraud Alert members tomorrow at the Anti Only No Limit. I, I want to cash every single time for you guys. I don't want any losers this year, so I'm gonna try. It would be pretty amazing if I cashed every single time I played for PFA this year, but it'd be very hard. Amazing right now, man. You cash both times. I, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's gonna be tough. Name, it, but we know who we're talking about. It probably won't That's happen. Cool. It probably won't happen, but it'll be tough. But maybe. So anyway, uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, July 1st, 7 p.m. Thank you to Snake in the Ass for giving $74.66 for the fifth-place finisher and only the fifth-place finisher. I kind of would have wanted to watch that, how it played out with five people left. That's all for tonight. I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you, as always, for listening. PokerFraudAlert.com with China Maniac and Bad Guy Shalom. Shalom. Good night.